tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. A free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Ellie is producing uh, today. Coming up on the show uh, this morning was the tarnished to correct yesterday when he told me that we don't talk up our health services enough. We don't report the positives. Auctioneers slapped with fines over their for sale signs. We'll chat about that. Our listeners share their advice on our agony aunt letters on separate bedrooms and whether a bride should pay for the bridesmaid's address. We focus on September 11 uh, for this week's conspiracy files. We'll hear about a colusty woman's links to the American poet Emily Dickinson. And uh, we have gardening with uh, Alton Nesbeth. And if you have a gardening query, we would urge you, as always, will you log it with us, please, as soon as you possibly can, to 083-311-3311 for text and for WhatsApp as well. You can uh, email at any time, and that's tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today to the Irish Independent. First of all, and they're telling us that RTE is coming under mounting uh, government pressure to look at selling off its Montrose campus in Dublin 4 and with the broadcaster potentially needing a 50 million euro bailout, senior coalition figures believe that uh, RTE bosses should examine selling off part or all of its Donnybrook home. Also on the front of the Indo today a picture of the singer Talu Mackey who has spoken of her preference for renting outfits or buying pre-loved clothing uh, rejecting the trend for disposable fashion. Now, you'd imagine with all that's happening in Libya and Morocco and indeed in this country as well, they could come up with something a little more profound for the front page. But anyway, uh, the Irish Daily Mail, again, uh, homing in on RTE and uh, telling us that RTE has suffered its biggest fall in TV licence payments of just under €1 million Euro in one week as its executives face uh, more grilling by politicians in Leinster House today. They're in front of the uh, media committee there. And, of course, our own Matthew McGrath is part of that committee. Uh, The Irish Times and their main uh, story, Minister for Finance, uh, Michael McGrath, has warned that the surge in corporation tax receipts of recent years may be abating and said the government must be wary of fueling inflation with budget giveaways. And also on the front of the Times today, just a very horrific photograph indeed of the aftermath of what's been happening uh, with that flooding in Libya. And seemingly now about 10,000 people are thought to be missing and more than 2,000 dead as a result of extreme flooding in Libya. Numbers that could continue to rise and that's as a result of course of Storm Daniel. Finally a look at the examiner, kind of an unusual story as their lead story today in the examiner's severe flooding, coastal erosion and drought will leave Cork City's most vulnerable citizens at risk by 2050 unless urgent action is taken to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And that's according to a brand new KPMG uh, report there. And also a worrying one on the front of the examiner today that young people are entering state care for the first time in their late teens because their parents are unable to cope. The interim head of Tusla has said the Child and Family Agency 
is seeing a significant increase in the number of teenagers aged between 16 and 18 who are never in care system, uh, but whose families are now volunteering them into care because they're unable to cope. There's one for you now. If you want to make comments on any of those headlines, uh, we'd love to hear from you. 083 311 Now, if you were listening yesterday to the programme, you'll know I was speaking to the Tornish to Michal Martin about various issues as part of his visit to Tipperary for the Fianna Fáil Thinking, which was held at the Horse and Jockey Hotel. Now, during the course of the conversation, we spoke about several different things. I asked him about the problems in the health service. And here's a little of what he had to say to me. I think in emergency care, it's been very challenging and it isn't where it should be. Yeah. I'd accept Chaotic that. Chaotic disasters. Just, well, well, just, just hear me out a second. Okay. I, I'm just indicating what our listeners are saying I know, about. But you, yeah. yeah, but you, you might let me answer and sure, make the point. Sure. The health services overall, by the way, have improved very generally. Um, and um, staff in, 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 in so temporary general hospital, for example, is up um, to 1,108 now. Uh, that's it was in, in July this year, compared to 868 at the end of 2019. So we've increased people, number of staff and so on like that. The broader health outcomes in people in the country is much better in terms of cardiovascular health, in terms of outcomes from cancer, stroke and so on. That never gets commented on when we talk about health. The broader successes in terms of people so doing better. We're, we're, we're too, and, I beg your pardon so for, 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 for cutting mm-hmm. water, but we're, we're too busy hearing about people dying on trolleys and people with most unfortunate experiences on trolleys. I th- they're not acceptable that people have bad experiences on trolleys, but that is not the full story of the Irish Healthcare Service. That's the point. And with greatest respect, you do have a responsibility equally to highlight the fact that in terms of outcomes in Ireland, they're far better now than they were 10 years ago in terms of most serious diseases in Ireland uh, or health service and the interventions that happen at primary care, that happen at, tert- that at hospital levels and at community care, the outcomes are better. Um, no, we still need to do better. And I take your point on the um, emergency centre in Limerick. Um, that's not where it should be and that's why we're putting in significantly increased capacity. Councillor Shamey Morris joins me now. Shamey, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. You were listening uh, yesterday, Seamus, I know, and there you go now. We're being too negative. We're not focusing on all the good things that's being done in health. What did you make of that uh, that answer yesterday? Fran, I'll be honest with you, I was furious. I was, I was spitting at the radio on it. Uh, his tone was one of a Tory minister admonishing someone that had the cheek to question uh, his ability to run the country. Um, what made me worse then later on in the day, there he was walking around Nina with, with the uh, candidate for the Nina MD area, Ryan O'Mara, going around as if nothing was wrong uh, with, with the state of our health services and, and, and the state of the country. Um, Fran, look, I've been a long time... Um, promoting the reopening of Nina St. John's and Ennis 24 a and because uh, we were uh, we, we were uh, what, the first region in the country to have uh, hospital our hospital services reconfigured into 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 one into one hospital and what that meant was um, our our emergency services um, mostly were were reconfigured into one emergency service in in in, in University Hospital Limerick and just, I just want to throw out a few figures, Fran, and this is, what, 14 years later. We were promised 600 uh, emergency beds in that hospital for a population of 350,000 people, OK? 14 yeah. years later, we have, a popul- we have a population of 425,000 people and we have bed, bed capacity of 530. 
with another 48 promise. Now, that's where we're at. I was speaking to one of my, a friend of mine this morning, and I, I you know, he, he was literally dragging his feet. He was after coming out of University Hospital in Limerick. His 91-year-old father is in a trolley in there since early yesterday, and is still in a trolley in there. I got he had to He had to leave the hospital, leave his father's side, to go to work this morning. That's, the tr- that's what Mial Martin tried to talk down to you about yesterday, and he did try to talk down to you. And he tried to promote the, posit- the positives of the health service. We don't have positives in our health service in the Midwest. Our mental health services, a psychologist told me recently, uh, when it comes to postcode lottery, North Tiberia is doing very badly in mental health services. In our CAM services, we're doing very badly. But most, mostly in, a, in, our, in our emergency health services, our, our general health services. And can I tell you, because we have what they call corridor medicine, where we're trying to treat people in corridors, Everything else is infectious. You know, overcrowding really, uh, it, it affects adverse outcomes, including increased death and, you know, and that, what, what the research has shown is that uh, there's one excess death for every 67 patients that stay in the emergency department for over 8 to 12 hours. My God, we have had some amount of deaths in the Midwest. That's what Michal Martin tried to talk, that, uh, talk down to you about yesterday. That's what Fianna Fáil were supporting when their counsellors and, and, and their friends were walking Michal Martin around the town yesterday promoting Ryan O'Mara's campaign. And by the way, Ryan O'Mara was at the protest in Limerick a few months ago. Mm. So I would like uh, Ryan O'Mara and he's... A, and, and this is also a, a, a day... The last two days, there was 112 and 120 on trolleys in, in University Hospital Limerick. This is what Fianna Fáil are trying to, uh, trying to pretend is, is a good service. It's not a good service. It's a disastrous service. In fairness, I have to say that the health minister last year did put his hands up on this programme and say, yeah, reconfiguration just has not worked. But the Tonnesty yesterday certainly wasn't prepared to admit that. Now, we didn't. Sadly, there were so many things to get through yesterday, Shamey, that we couldn't spend enough time on something like health. Do you know what I mean? We had to sort of gloss over so many different things. But, I mean, it's a pity that we didn't have more time uh, where that was concerned. Look, Fran, the trolley crisis really is, is the crisis of the Midwest, OK? We are, every single day now, the worst trolley numbers in the country. Mm. Every single day. There's no doubt about that. And yes, our politicians. I, I spoke recently to Alan Kelly about it. And, um, and Alan knows of it being me bonnet about this, and rightly so of it being me bonnet about it, because the trolley crisis impacts the delivery of, of all hospital care in the community, because patient offloads, Really, it delays it delays a, a prolonged ambulance response times. First of all, uh, our ambulance service now is being used to pick up patients as far as, uh, away as Kerry. I have questions going into uh, about our ambulance service, but I spoke to Anna Kelly recently, and you know he has constantly gone on the radio there uh, with, your, with yourselves and said that he's great friends with Bernard Gloucester, the new HTC chief, and he, he told me that Bernard Gloucester had promised him that um, there would be a pathway for elderly people not to be on trolleys at UHL. That has failed. That, that's not happening. I mean, as I said, a 91-year-old man inside in a, in, in a trolley in Limerick. And the, the lack of dignity. I mean, you had also people people on there where where a woman was, an elderly woman was lying on a trolley and someone tried to light up uh, a, a bong beside her. You know, yeah. Yeah. You, you, know you, have, you have people trying to, you, you have situation now where you have elderly people in trolleys. It, it, listen, the place is chaotic. And can I tell you, friend, because of that, every other service in the hospital has been affected. And I'm going to give you an example. 
I, in the next five to six weeks, have to go in for heart surgery. Okay? And the process is you go and meet your consultant, Nina. He orders a couple of pre-op tests for you, and um, they'll be done, and then you get called to get, to get your, your operation. I, I had someone monitoring my tests. Obviously, I, I'm concerned about getting these tests done and to make sure I get in and out of hospital as quickly mm. as possible. One of my tests that is vital for me to have heart surgery was cancelled by a consultant in Nina. Or, sorry, in Limerick. Cancelled? No, no, I, I got no word that it was being cancelled. I got no letter to say why it was being cancelled. I got no phone call. But I found out because I, 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 I was checking up on it and checking up it. I was told someone has cancelled your, 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 your pre-op test in Limerick. You know, on the, on the basis of what? Why, why was it cancelled, did you find out? Someone just decided to cancel it Then I'm going to bring someone else in. Now, that's just me. And I have the ability to, to advocate for myself, man. Yeah. And, 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 I'm, and I'm doing this and, and I'm finding myself advocating more and more for people. I was also, recently, I, I, I met a man who was in awful pain uh, with cancer. W- unable to advocate for himself. His family are con- extremely concerned about him. Um, and the, he, waiting for a call from America. Now, you know, with the family with cancer, that's, that's, um, that's timing. Time is everything, okay? Um, it took me to go, to go and rattle cages inside to get him to get a phone call and, and to get called. Now, that man shouldn't, have to, shouldn't need me, a, a postman, to advocate for him. But that's the way things are gone. It's, it's yeah. all now down to who you're looking enough and, to And you heard yeah. me all, Martin, yesterday talk up the cancer services and how effective they are and how positive it is. And I'm after, I spoke to another man yesterday that's waiting for a call to go in and get treated for cancer. What I'm saying is everything that we held has been absolutely brilliant. And I'm not saying that there isn't miracle workers inside working in UHL. There are. There are fantastic people to be working in there. But the fact of the matter is, because of our disastrous emergency health service system, everything else is collapsing around us. Another example, Fran, uh, at Christmas, the Shannon Dock system failed. Mm. It collapsed. So much so that uh, University Hospital Limerick told people not to come into into University Hospital Limerick, so the, so that collapsed at Christmas, and yet, Fran, we're told that everything will will get better. Have have faith in us, have trust in us, and you know the really worrying thing about this: our TDs have gone to ground, including Sinn Fein. They've gone to ground in this. The people, and by the way, they've gone to ground in a lot of things uh, as they prepare themselves for government. They don't want to be annoying people, uh, people that they're going to be working with in time to come. All our TDs are going to ground in this. This is the worst crisis we have in the Midwest, man. And our TDs are going to ground. You were talking about... And why why do you think, by the way, why do you think they're going to ground? I mean, is it the case that this is such a hopeless situation that they don't want to be associated with it in some way, is well, it? You were talking about there about Stephen Donnelly uh, yeah. admitting that, that, that uh, he has since rolled back in it. And, and again, amazingly, he came out with a statement on Clear FM there a few weeks ago where he said that um, trolley numbers were down in comparison to comparative trolley uh, comparative days in 2019. But he was using the trolley gear numbers. They're the numbers that they hate to see yeah. themselves. Yeah. There is nobody in the country who used trolley gear, trolley gear numbers. You know, the IMO numbers that put out by the nurses are the numbers that the, the media take and the numbers that, that they hate to see even, even, even uh, you know, discuss with, with ourselves as councillors if we, if we bring it up with them. Stephen Annie now has gone back to to, to massage in the figures. And I, we, I really mean this. I mean, we have elected representatives out there that are shameless, sh- shamelessly keeping their heads 
uh, it's it buried in the ground over this. As I said, this is the worst crisis we have. It cannot be overestimated, the suffering of elderly people lying in trolleys. It cannot be overestimated. First of all, the lack of dignity. But secondly, the fact that you have staff working in conditions that are horrific for themselves. And, and that's one of the reasons we can't get staff to work in there. Because it, it, could you imagine going in and facing that 12 hours a day? I take my hat off to them. Yeah. But I will say this. The fire chief in Limerick and the fire chiefs in the Midwest have to hold their own hands up. That's why they're allowing this also. Well, we've discussed that for so many years as well. I mean, if if, if uh, corridors are jammed up with uh, trolleys, you'd imagine that it would be a situation where the fire chief would have a lot to say about that. Well, that should be the reason, that plan. And, and I would also say HICRED themselves didn't cover themselves in glory recently either, where they came out with a report. And, and it, it was it was propaganda, really, for the HSE to, to say that things were, things were going well in there and the plans were in place. We've had plans in place. There's the, the minister himself uh, um, got the light to go in and, and, and do a report on the place. And yes, our trolley numbers are going up day after day. And we haven't even got into winter years, Fran. I, I dread what's going to happen in there at winter time. And do you know what's happening, Fran? Ambulance drivers now are telling people, do not get into the ambulance unless you're very, very sick. Because they have a, they, they have a right of passage then. They have to bring people uh, into UHL. Most people in, in, in North Tip now head off somewhere else. And, that, and, and still the numbers are, are massive in there. They're either take, 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 a, take a chance of not going in there, uh, staying in bed at night time uh, and hope that they wake up alive the next morning, or uh, rather than go in there to the hellhole that is uh, the, the, the emergency service at UHL. And then we're also told, Fran, that use your, your local injury unit, you lose your, use your local injury unit. Because we've no consultants, in Nina Hospital, looking at injuries, looking at x-rays, I know of several young young people that have been misdiagnosed with broken bones and had broken bones at all. They've gone around with things on them and whatever. But then, you know, you can have the opposite, where, where they've told they've nothing wrong with them and they've gone around with broken bones. And, and you know, that might seem a, a small thing, but it's not. it just means that people have no faith in their health service. And certainly the reaction we got, particularly to that aspect of uh, our conversation yesterday, was just uh, immense. I mean, we got loads on social media, loads of response uh, to it. But, I mean, if the powers that be don't accept that there's a problem, you have a problem, if you know what I mean, you know? Yeah, look, come here. I remember many, many years ago when I started out in politics and nobody wanted to talk about drugs issues. And, you know, I was getting berated down the town for, geez, you're giving us a bad name, you're giving the town a bad name. Nobody wanted to say there was a drugs issue. Now we have a massive drugs issue. And, you know, people let it slip and uh, it's gone to a situation where people are making so much money out of it that, and they become so powerful that even the state is afraid to take them on. But we, had, we have a similar situation with health. Look, fine, I suppose people will be out there saying he is not good to say about anything. I, I am afraid that I, I, I am the person out there that, that's going to bring the bad news about UHL and the bad news about emergency services. But to be fair to yourselves, friend, you, you know, you've, you've covered this, you've been honest about it, but I would say to me, Hal Martin, and, and the people that, that mock him around town, if you sit around our tip, take him into you, Jeff. Take him in and let him see what, what's happening. But do you know what's going to happen, Frank? There will be hospital candidates in the local elections and the general election. So if TDs and, and local councillors think that this is going to go away, they have somebody else coming to them. Because I, I personally fund a campaign to get people in the Midwest uh, to run as hospital candidates. So this thing is full and front and front of it. 
Will you run as a hospital candidate? Look, I'll be running as a, as, as a local election candidate. And Fran, I have to get over our, our top race first. <laughs> so when I, when I get over that, please God, I, I, I see the other side of it. Uh, I, I will, look, I'll be running as a local candidate, I I will. But I mean, mm. What about, what about in the general election? Like, because a lot of people onto us immediately uh, that you spoke uh, to me this morning to ask about what your intentions are. I mean, some people asking, will you go back into the fold of Sinn Féin, for example? No, that will never happen, friend. Mm. Um, you, can be, you can be assured that I'm very happy being an independent. I'm very happy that I can go and talk to Alan Kenny and talk to Michael Lowry and talk to Matthew McGrath and talk to anyone out there and, and talk to them just about issues and rather than mm. had to be keyholed into, into one uh, ideology. But you're not ruling out you're not ruling out the notion of going on an issue like the hospital issue in, in a general election, are you? No, I, th- I think I think there needs to be hospital hospital candidates, Fran. I look, Fran, I might be able to I, I'm I'm look I'm not an old man, but I'm finding it very hard to keep the two jobs going to bank sure, uh, yeah. at the moment anyway. With, with my own health. You know, I'm, I'm not yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm not sorry to hear about the health uh, issue. It's 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 a heart issue, obviously, Shami, yeah. It's something I was born with, Fran, it was always going to happen. So, right. you know, to, 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 it had been monitored regularly since I was born, and I have to have the operation now. And it's, that's, 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 I'm, I'm happy that, that they were able to monitor it over the years, and happy that I'm at a situation now where, where I'm going in to get it done. And, you know, they, they do these things, a couple of, the, the doctor told me to do three of these a day. Well, we wish you well with that, Shami, and uh, you're, you're still not ruling out the notion, though, of 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 going in the general election with possibly the, I, I, the hospital I issue. Be, I, I would prefer not to be run. But I'll tell you one thing, friend. I won't leave TDs or people run uh, for for general election without having a hospital candidate in front. That's what I'm going to say because the hospital services are going to be. So you would support some. Service. You would support somebody else to do it if you chose not uh, to do it. One hundred percent, friend. One hundred percent. I'm not going to let them run. And forget about um, um, the fact that they have forgotten about people and, and, and left them to the hospital services we have in the Midwest here. All right, Jamie. Well, we wish you well where the health is concerned. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us this morning. Thank you. Thanks, friend. Thank you. Good Thank morning, Councillor Shamey Morris, Independent Councillor Shamey Morris, speaking to us uh, there. My old friend uh, Pat Mernan was on to me to say... Uh, morning, Fran. When the uh, Tornishta announced uh, that we uh, have such a great uh, service and... Uh, um, hope uh, the, have we of uh, improving it. The township was a disgrace uh, speaking with you yesterday, speaking to you as if you were a bold schoolboy and fuming, says uh, Pat to us this morning on 083-311-3311. Lots of people asking, um, is Shamey running in the general election? Well, there you heard his, uh, his answer to that. Um, he has some health issues and we wish him well with that, but he certainly would support the notion of a candidate standing on the platform of uh, hospital issues. 1800 um, Good Lord, Fran, what planet is, and it gives us a variation of uh, Michal Martin's name, living on health services uh, better now than 10 years ago. He said it's worse, it's gone in my experience, and that's in from Joe Noble, who also adds um... <laughs> some flowery language at the end of that as well. Um, Joe says uh, health service far from good but it's the same old story Um, they have all the answers uh, Sinn Féin that is if they are so good why are they not in government well they could well be in government uh, next time uh, round um, Chris and Kerr says ask Jamie will he return to Sinn Féin well I did and he said no way Uh, the HSC is not fit for purpose Fran 
on the May Bank holiday weekend, uh, 2023, our dad, 74. He gave five days on a trolley in UHL while being seriously ill. There was 100 plus on the corridors that weekend. On the fifth day, it was confirmed that he had covid while there, he was unable at times to get off the trolley to use the bathroom. He called out for help, but was left there, and the inevitable happened, says one of our listeners. We'll take a break back with more in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Aileen Hassey is writing in this week's uh, edition of uh, The Nationalist uh, that Councillor John Fitzgerald has condemned Tipperary County Council for slapping 150 euro littering fines on a number of his auctioneering colleagues for signs, advertising customers' properties for sale or sale agreed. And John joins me now. Good morning to you, John. Hello, Fran. Good to talk to you today. You're very okay. angry about this. I, from, from reading Aliens' piece, you're particularly angry at the notion that the for sale signs are being referred to as litter and littering. Yeah, because, well, I was. I was very browned off at the meeting the other day because, first of all, I waited for a long time to get in because there was no particular section to deal with the environment and I don't like bringing things up in the wrong section. And it's unusual, I suppose, sometimes that you get to do reps on you, for yourself rather than other members of the public who I'm happy to do reps for at any stage. But this was one for a very small group, which, but it's small business. People, you know, the, the SMEs, you know, estate agents' offices are SMEs. They're small, medium businesses and they're rate-paying businesses. And so they do have to, and they're not a big group, there's no votes in this. This is simply this is simply something that I know a lot about because I'm one myself. And I was annoyed because, quite honestly, these little signs, these little directional signs, which I think they're really referring to, are the ones that, you know, direct you into a cul-de-sac or direct you up a little country road or direct you into an estate. And maybe, you know, I'm willing to, be lear- to, to, to learn lessons from over overkill of that too, where there's too many of them up. But it's a very managed business. It's not littering. It's littering to me is something that's discarded material and it has no there's no intention to recover it. That's littering. And we all know who does that or where that happens, where we see that and where we hate that. And I am one councillor as you as I think you may know, friend, because I have always been on about littering. I hate the sight of uh, the, the way people discard all kinds of items, including TVs and mattresses and tins and bottles and pizza boxes along our roads. And when the foliage dies away, we, it, it becomes noticeable, especially in the months of December and January and things like that. So, but when the, 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 the little signs that are erected are pretty much 99.9% now managed. It's a managed process of directional logged on jobs with countrywide signs, which are phased and removed at a time at the end of the process when the person's dwelling mm. is sold. And it's fully professionally, fully insured, yeah. all our licence numbers. Well, John, I'm sure as, as, as a, a, a counsellor with a, you know, quite a lot of experience and experience uh, with your own job as well, you, you're aware of that Litter Pollution Act, aren't you? Are, are, yeah. you, you, you so you, you are aware then that really what you're doing was sort of... 
you know, in spite of that act, and well, it does, see, it does warrant happened. a fine, doesn't mm. it? You know, but that, if, no, hold on. There was an act. There was a, yes, but there was it was. It's not defined because we got a letter. I understand. I can't remember, but about nine, eight or nine years ago, a letter came around, and there was no enforcement whatsoever, and we never heard a thing again. Mm. And then time went on, and then somebody opened the file and decided to go prosecuting instead of engaging with agents about them. And anyway, if just because you log it in with the council under licence, that does sure it can't be litter one minute. And just because you email the council to tell them where you're putting it up, it's now not litter. You know, yeah. that's, that's Yeah, that's, but the, the the semantics of it, John, probably is irre- irrelevant to the notion that uh, you know, if everybody went down the, the roadway I'm being devil's advocate here. For instance, if I decided to put up a whole load of signs around the county listening to Fran Curry at nine o'clock um every weekday morning, um, I'm I'm sure that you know, I'd be seriously wrapped on, on, on the knuckle. How how yeah. is that different, John? It is different. Because, Why? Look, I know I know this because I'm doing it in relation. I'm in, as you know, uh, a member of Clamel's show. This year, we would have had put up those little signs you see out the country with the date of the show, just Clamel's show, June 2nd. Chari- 2nd. Cha- a charitable event, though. Yeah, a chari- hold on, charitable event. Yeah. But every one of our, as quick as we were putting them up, and we young lads that were on summer vacation, doing summer jobs with us, putting them up. They were being taken down again by the council. Right. I know the guy, when the shop opened in Clareham, they put a few signs out the road. Again, this is the nanny. This is nanny, nanny state stuff now. When, when If mm. businesses are doing a little bit where they intend to not discard, but promote for a period, a set period, and then recover, there is a difference. Now, hold on. The council also mm. insist, absolutely insist, that businesses... Erect to let and for sale signs so as to uh, apply for the waiver for rates for vacant buildings. Yes. This is, you can't have it both ways. They can't be telling us on one hand, have your signs on that? And is it up mm. on that? And, is it a, and then on the other hand saying, oh no, these are litter. Could I put I'm, it to I'm you, John, that this is a way for businesses like your own to, to make money? I mean, this, this, this is what this is about, isn't it? It's promoting your wares. So what, why is, should you get that for free if other businesses How can't is it for free? We pay the guy, we pay, we pay fellas to put them up. The vendors end up paying for this, actually. The, the vendors, the owners of those dwellings pay for their outlays. Hmm. And, and uh, yeah, and it, do you know what profit does? Do you know when you make, you sell the place and you better feed, it pays your staff, pays your rate, pays for the lights and the heat and the phones and the cars and the insurance and everything that runs the business. Right, but every other so, business could say the same thing. I mean, you know, absolutely. if I have a takeaway, I could put up a whole load of signs around the place and I could make the very same argument. It's a different thing in that the loca- this is this is a location finder for the lit- for, a, for six weeks. Oh, but it's not always that. I mean, it's to promote a sale, that's it's to promote a property. And, and agents have obligations too. Agents, and don't, I know your listeners, some people will ring in and say, oh, I know where there's one on the road. They don't bother ringing in. I've heard all those arguments about that. They, the, 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 there is ones on road, and, and agents have obligations too, not to leave them there forever in a day. Uh, not to leave them there forever and a day, pointing down to a place that's long sold. Right. That's so, fair. But, uh, so I but, agree. I completely agree. This has started a conversation about litter. And you know what, Fran? That's a good thing. Yeah, it but is I, indeed. I, yeah. I, Pat, Pat English, your, your, your fellow councillor, though, did point out that he noticed a lot of uh, signs erected on roundabouts and on poles, well, and, and in news. some cases, some that's distance away from, from the properties. Well, I don't think it is, John. It is fake news, friend. I'll tell you why. Why would why? anyone put a, put a direct sign on a roundabout for the simple reason 
you have to. But, but you're, you're homing well. in. You're homing in on the signs for direction. I think he might be yes, talking about just auctioneering signs in general. Yeah, but there is no the, the auctioneering signs in general are placed on private property. The people whose house is for sale. So there, there's none or, on roundabouts or on poles. I don't. I have. I'm. I'm. I can only talk for Clonmel. There's none on roundabouts in Clonmel. Mm. There's none on roundabouts in Clonmel. They're on the edges of estates. Yes, pointing in. There's no point having them on roundabouts because roundabouts are roundabouts. They're not direct. You know, you could be going off any. So what, four, what's the story with the, the, the fine then? According to what I'm reading here, as the, the act itself, the fine is 150 euro. So are you fined 150 euro for every sign, or how does that every work? Every single sign, every right. single sign. So how much I, have you been fined, John? Uh, yeah, I got I got fines. I have I have fines of three three uh, three uh, things that I have. To, uh, I've contacted Countrywide Signs to remove immediately. Right, but have you to pay the fine anyway? Yeah, well, I can appeal them if I want. To, but I have what I did was I, 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 I and I always pay my fines, whether, yeah. whatever. I, whether if I'm fine for anything, I don't be fine for too much, thanks to the God. But uh, if, if I am fine for something, I will pay my, right. my, my, my. And my and fee. did you ever apply for permission for any of these signs? So as Look, we as you're given, advised to do in no, the. No, what happened was what happened mm. was the council didn't contact agents about this. They contacted IPAP, which is the Irish Professional Auctioneers, an institute which governs us, mm. you know. Yes. And they, they sent an email around. But, like, it, it, was, it was done without uh, consultation. It was done without consultation. That's why I got browned off. Hey, listen, I get browned off and I let fly at the council meeting the other day because I was in yeah, a well, unique that's, position that's fine that I too. could do that. That's, that's fine I was too. in a unique position that I could do that. But, <laughs> of course. But, but, but there, is, there is a Litter Pollutions well Act. There is a Litter Pollutions Act there, in fairness, and that's what they're acting on, and they're yes. perfectly within the rights to do that. Yes, true. But, 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 the, mm. the, 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 you know, this is, a, this is not... Litter, we always... Those are always collected because they cost enough. So we're always collecting them back in to use them on other property mm. and re- recycle them and so on. Litter and graffiti and dirt and rubbish. If, and I said this to them. I said, if you really push me, I'll show you what litter is because I'm a big advocate of anti-littering. I support all the tiny right. towns. But, but is that not throughout. subjective, John, in terms of what one person describes as art, somebody else might... Like, I, don't, could, like, I don't like graffiti, for example, any kind of graffiti. Well, I was but some people, some people say it's art. It's covered know? in graffiti, yeah. and I think it's unsightly. And I think if the council were doing something with the private owners of that property to, do, to, to uh, avert that type of activity, it would be a far better place than uh, yes. some little sign that's pointing you into a cul-de-sac that's going to be gone in a few weeks when the house... And God knows, thanks to God, these things move fast now because the house is... How, how did Joe McGrath you know, respond to you, the CEO, on this? How, what was, was his response? The, the CEO, in fairness to the, him, he was... I, I, I surprised him. I pulled a rabbit out of the hat, really, and I did it under any other business. Mm. He hadn't he hadn't his staff from the environmental section with him, and he has, he has uh, uh, agreed to come back to me. And staff from the council have been on to me yesterday, and we, have, we are finding a way to manage it between yes. local authority and agents. Look, Fran, I'm talking about a tiny group. There's five of us here in Clement. There's probably five in Nina, five or four or five in Tiptown. Is there mm. 20 in the county offices? You know, that's, that's what we're looking at. Right. We have to, we have, we have obligations. A, li- a little personal gripe. The one that annoys me is auctioneers putting up the sorry it's gone sign. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not sure why that aggravates me, but it does, John. But I couldn't possibly comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I couldn't possibly comment. I couldn't possibly comment. I love that, yeah. So what, what's going to happen here anyway? Are you going to start sort of adhering to the yes, Litter Pollution Act? Yes, of course we are. We've had my hissy fit now about <laughs> it. I've had my... And you know, Fred, I'm very... I am a reasonable person. I've had my hissy fit now about it. Of course we have to manage them better. Do you know that it isn't too bad as it is? Because we, you know, countrywide signs, they're, they're really good. What you do is you log the job on. They go, they erect, they make up an erect. They put one on the house, they put one out on the road, pointing in. Mm. They come back, they do sale agree, and then they take it down. And you see all the dates on your system, and then they look for the money off us. And we pay them. And that's the way we've been managing them. Now, what happens is, at various times of the year, the, the spring can be busy and the autumn can be busy in house sales. And what it is, is two or three can appear pointing into the one estate. And that might people off a bit, yeah, you know, and okay. I can I get that. Okay. Right. So, but so at least think, at least this conversation, have... there will be some improvement, uh, if not. Uh, and and for going forward, then, would you apply for permission every time you put up signs? Then, John. Well, I've I've spoken with uh, senior people from the council yesterday, and I said, look, don't ask us to look for permission for this in the way of license. Ask us to notify ye. Simple little form is what I was suggesting that we can tr- uh, scan and send. But that's in. not the law. You have to. No, I'm, I'm just reading what, what uh, the, the act is about here. You have to well, it's obtain a, to get a, 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 sign, a temporary to sign get a permit. A permit yeah, yeah, to get a license. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find a way to do that that isn't too cumbersome. That isn't too cumbersome. That well, people will actually well, do. There's only one way you apply to the authority, and you. Yeah, but you see, you've already listen. We're all. This is another layer of bureaucracy. I suppose. Look, it's it's a, it's a, it's a thing that, it's a bit like. Look, there's lots of things enacted, Fran. There's mm. an awful lot of things enacted that are never rolled out. Yeah. And and this probably fell under that category a little bit. All right. Um, and you know, like I mean, you've often and I, when, before I ever became a councillor, you you and I used to speak years ago about rent, yeah. and stuff like that, and the RTB and residential. There was a thing brought in years ago called um, the the deposit retention scheme. Mm-hmm. I remember. I telling you it was bonkers, and you saying to me, "Where do you get your four o'clock on a Friday evening? Where do you collect your deposit? You know, yeah. when you're trying to move." That was never rolled out. It never became a... It never happened. It never actually happened. There's no such thing. It's enacted, but it didn't happen. This falls into that category a little bit. I think what the council should do now is engage with agents. Tell them, right, guys, you know, this is what we want you to do. This is what you need you to do. And I suppose, look, as I said already, I had my, my... hissy fit because all the fines had, had reached offices on the same morning. They were all ringing me, colleagues from around the country. What the hell? What the hell? You know, and that's all I did. For once, I got an opportunity to do reps from my from well, since I came. From it, my, it, from it, the, it's certainly uh, starting a conversation anyway, that's uh, for sure. Even quite, a, quite, a few, it's, quite a few of our listeners on to us, John, to say that the council themselves uh, some people have a, a beef with them about leaving up signs after road works are carried out, and sometimes the signs are up for Listen, I, I, I could, and do you know what? Look, um, they do uh, they do require uh, property owners to have to let some for sales open yeah. and things like that. So, and they can look grubby after a while, and we have to do we have to do uh, a job on keeping that clean. And, and like I saw a program from on BBC Four last night, and I could see one of those little directions for the mortgages. Walking yeah. in England or somewhere, and they were talking about mortgages, but they had an, an estate agent sign pointing somewhere behind the the, the interviewee, and and, and and I just said, "Jenny back there, they're all over the UK." And when I did, occasionally back the years going race, and I used to go to tell them they're everywhere there too. So. Yeah. Not, I don't think they're they're they call fall under litter, but if they have to fall under litter to be categorised, 
Right. Well, well, I, well I it is, and, and at the risk of being pedantic, it's uh, Section 20 of the Litter Pollutions Act, if you want to. Good man, I didn't like to read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, good to talk to you. Thanks very much, indeed. Thanks. 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 Good to uh, That is Councillor John Fitzgerald speaking was there, but as his own words, he's hissy fit at uh, the council meeting there, and that's uh, in Aileen Hazy's piece in uh, today's edition of The Nationalist. We'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, Patrick was on to us to say the government uh, considering a €50 million deal to bail out RTE while people are struggling with mortgages. It's just a disgrace. And he went on to say that uh, the Michal Martin interview hurt my head yesterday. Uh, Fran, that's it. It was on 083-311-3311. Another listener saying I had an appointment uh, in Clonmel Hospital recently and I was going in the door when I got a phone call to say that my appointment was uh, cancelled and that's uh, that comment there following my chat with Councillor Shamie Morris earlier on in the programme. Now Mike joins me. Mike, good morning to you. Morning, friend. Good to talk to you. I think you were listening to Michal Martin yesterday as well, uh, Mike, uh, and you were you're kind of kind of cross yeah. to say the least, were you? It hurt my head as well, yeah. <laughs> you said you were furious. Why were you furious, Mike? Well, uh, they were above in a hotel, I presume, at an enormous expense here in Tipperary, and I presume they all had water. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't would've... have any. You didn't have any? No, I still haven't got any yet today. And how long, I mean, tell me about the outages and how it's been affecting you over the last few months, Mike. Well, uh, it's, 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 if I was living in the Sahara now, I'd probably have more water. Wow. But, um, I'd say going back to somewhere in July, uh, started. And uh, at that point, we assumed because we had a, a, a very hot, dry June, maybe, maybe water was low, and so I accepted the issue. But then it was brought to my mind by a friend who I, I trust implicitly, uh, that uh, one of the employees, if I can call them that, of the Quango, that is Irish Water, uh, apparently when putting the um, chlorine into the water, instead of putting in three bags, you put in 30 bags. Well, we, we can't sort of go along with that, Mike, because I don't know the detail on, on that. But whatever, anyway, it means that you're without water. Absolutely, yeah. Well, the thing is, I think, Pran, like... Uh, as as a media thing, maybe you haven't invested. You could ring Irish Water and ask, mm. pose that question to him. Did this happen? Because, I mean, if it did, I mean, health and safety is a major issue as well. Right. Well, as you and know, I, we've been, we've been talking to Ishgarn as they are now for quite some time on the the program. We've been trying to get answers on various different uh, things. It's not always easy to to get in touch with them. You know, have you tried getting in touch with them where your concerns are? Uh, well, no, I won't. I don't recognise them as as an entity. Uh, they, were, they were they were dropped on us by our so-called government. Um, when when you apparently when you're in Irish water, they put you down as a customer. Now uh, my issue on that is I couldn't be a customer to Irish water because they don't sell me anything. And if they're trying to sell me something, then they're wrong because we already pay for our water through our taxes. So there are quango that was set up by uh, 
I, I would have to say, like, really, a non-elected government. How, how uh, do you mean a non, a non-elected government? Well, like, there was no majority in the last election, uh, and Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, along with uh, the Greens, uh, decided, well, well, we'll put something together, even mm. though Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are always in opposition, and yes. the Greens, well, I wouldn't even go there. Uh, but I know that the Greens, the only reason, the only way they were able to make a government is uh, by the blackmail of the Greens who, who uh, said they would go in with them provided they got all their issues dealt with. So, like, that's not a... That's not a, that's not a, a, a Right, but I mean, it's, it's not against any. I mean, it's, it's a democratic situation. Whether we, you know whether we like it or not is is another another matter. But I mean, it's a legitimate government, Mike. You know, it's, it's the most anti-democratic government you could come across, Lepran. Hmm. Okay, they're all elected individually yeah. and maybe got majorities, but they're not elected as a government. Right, but you you don't accept that it's it's legitimate. Then is that it? It's not democracy. Yeah. That's another. That's a story for another day. Like we talk about democracy. Yeah, well, it but, is a story for for another day, I suppose. But anyway, that, there are your thoughts, and and you're entitled uh, to them. Um, did you get to hear any of the conversations around there a few months ago, where we were discussing water over a period of weeks and stuff? We were trying to get to the the bottom of some of the the issues. Mike, did any of that give you any hope for the future or anything? No. No, not really. But not while you see, like if. If it's the government, like this is imposed on us by the government, really, and and like and, and the other day, last week, I mean, announced again that the the I mean they they've, they haven't admitted they got something wrong. Yes, they've put Tipperary back into two separate constituencies, mm. north and south, and they said, oh, it's, it's a new idea we have, mm. you know, to make things better. The the, the two. <laughs> Three seaters, even though, even though we have a single authority for the entire county, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, then when, when they made it all one county, they moved the, the head office to Nina. Why? Plumel is the capital town of Tipperary. You just assume that's where the county manager would reside. Mm. You know, it's just an insult to our, to our, to our intelligence. And, down and, here. and the fact that they alternate the meetings, that's not good enough for you, is it? No? No, no, no. no. Well, well, no, it's, it's, it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid uh, way of running things. You know what I mean? They, they're supposed to assume we're all thick, like. And uh, the the loss of the the borough council, the the town councils, and the like. How how do you feel about that? Do you think that was a a I huge that, loss? I think it's a big loss to Tranmel. Mm. And the fact that the borough council is gone. Why are we still electing a mayor? And, 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 do, you, do you not think that that's that's good for a town? Do you not think that that's? It's like it's, it's if it's in the right context, yeah. But like with the mayor, he's not. There's no mayor mayorship now anymore because the, the the borough council is gone. So are you saying there's no relevance to it? Is that is that it? Well, like it's like it's like putting the the. the the stew and the pot, and then taking out the ingredients, or saying, oh, "Well, I'm not having stew, but I'll have the I'll have the carrots out of it, or I'll have the you know, <laughs> hmm. picking and choosing." Like it's a mayor's job. I don't know what the mayor does now officially, like, but I mean, it's a cost on people as well. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, there could be other money spent other ways than housing and dogs others and, and water. Right. In fairness, I've seen the various mayors do a great job in terms of welcoming people to the town and in terms of receptions and all of that kind of thing and those kind of duties. Is that not important, do you it's think? Yeah, uh, they do. Is the town hall still open? I, I, I kind of passed there closed. Mm. But uh, apart from that, uh, if you go to Clamel any time recently, especially at night, there's very few people in it. You know. Can I ask you just finally, Mike, just again, you, you, you referred to yourself as being furious about Michal Martin yesterday. He had a go at the media in general uh, when he said that they were talking up Sinn Féin and then he had a go yesterday when, you know, he made the point that we weren't uh, um, showing off the positives of the health services and, and, and stuff. What, what are you making of that? Uh See, I have to try and hold my tongue here, friend, because um, <laughs> if I was to express myself uh, as, as I feel like doing, uh, you'd have to talk me off air. But uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Like, uh, I, I'm just sick of the lies. You're sick, you know? of, you're sick of what you see as lies, is that it? Absolutely, yeah. They're looking for votes. The election's coming up next year. They're, they're vote seeking now at the moment, you know, mm. and they're, they're, they'll say anything to get to get people to get to take the box for them. All right, Mike. Well, good to have you on air today, and thanks very much for your time, Mike. Thank yeah, you. No- just, just, just before you go, friend, just- I just like to say hello to my friends in Liverpool, Mary and Tony, who are li- tuned in and listening, and my sister in Manchester who's tuned in and listening, and I'm sure there's lots more out there who I know. Uh, tuned in and listening, and will probably agree with what I'm saying. Right. But uh, I still have it's a quarter to ten now, and or no, ten o'clock on a, yeah. on a Wednesday morning. I have no water, and I feel sorry for for families and children who are trying to get their kids out to school without water in their house. All right, you know, Mike. it's wrong. Well, good, the good, health good. should look into it, and I'd love it, friend, if if your investigators. We'll get on Irish water and check up on what I said there. Okay, about the okay. Let, let, let us check up on that for you, Mike, and we'll get back to you where that is concerned. Camila Mahogat, good uh, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Pat. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Um, one of our listeners on, and this is responding to Councillor John Fitzgerald, who spoke to us there about being fined for putting up uh, signage um, about houses for sale, etc. Um, uh, one of our listeners saying, these signs are just business advertising, it says here. Well, I suppose that's the point, and... Uh, um, that's probably how the authority um, would be viewing it uh, as well, but it's coming in under that Littering and Pollution Act, and it's that that really has uh, annoyed uh, Councillor Fitzgerald. Um, somebody else saying, why don't the council demand that the roads are cleaned after the ditches are cut instead of motorists getting uh, punctures? I agree with you on that. That's rather annoying for sure. Fran, do those who throw rubbish 
um, and beds and mattresses, etc., into the roadside fields have permits. Councils and government uh, throwing their weight around with soft targets while ignoring the big problems. And uh, one of our listeners, Pat, says that a lot of people living in rural Ireland have to dig their own wells, uh, pay for salt and filters and all the costs associated with it. Uh, people in urban areas are never expected to foot any cost for water. It's very unfair and it's hard for people who always have to pay for the water to listen to people cribbing in towns about not having their free water. Well, you see, Pat, and, and I feel your pain where that's concerned, but people, well, quite a lot of people, feel, and this was behind the protests where the, the water charges are concerned, about people feel, feel that they are paying for water through other uh, forms of taxation, but there you go. Gary was in touch with us and joins us now. Gary, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And it's about energy costs, Gary, is it? Absolutely, yeah. I was listening to yesterday, Frank, your interview with Michal Martin. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing, he, he's a polished lad, you know. I mean, everything that you said to him, he had, it. He had the answer for us, you know. Yeah. Like, you were asking him about the, the petrol and the diesel, you know, and they had that reduced on it. And as he said, oh, well, this was always going to be a temporary measure, mm. you know. And now they have, I think it's 182 for a litre of petrol now. I see it. They, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm taking notice of it recently. It's up about, yeah, yeah some places a little less, but, but they're thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the general price, and the diesel is, is more or less 177 mm. or something. Yeah. And you know what happens then? The heat now it goes up, and yeah. here we are now facing into the winter. You know? yeah, and, and, and there's a possibility of, of uh, extra charges going on, petrol and diesel as well, at the end of uh, October, even though the government, well, it appears that they may roll back where that is concerned. But anyway. Well, they said that, but yeah. they had an argument saying, oh, the reason why they couldn't continue on with the VAT reduction in the petrol and diesel is because they bought it when it was expensive. Yes, the hedging you know? and all of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know that whole thing. But another thing about the electricity, I heard the other day, um, I don't know, it was one from like it was uh, he's involved in the electricity, mm. and they said thirty nine percent of the electricity used in the country in August was produced by wind farms and solar electricity. Mm. You know, and yet here we are, one of the dearest countries in Europe for electricity. You know, yeah. and. We're always listening to every politician on the radio, on the TV, saying, all right, there's so many billions surplus in the cost. Yes, here we are, back, back up again on the petrol and diesel, highest rate of inflation for everything. All this business with uh, smokeless coal, and you can't burn turf, can't put a block into the fire. You know, it's just one thing after another with them. The health service isn't completely in tatters. You know, I'll give you a for instance, there's a good friend of mine recently was at the doctor and the doctor said, look, there's something there, we need to send you for an MRI. Mm. He said, okay, fair enough. He said, how long will that take? Well, he said, we make an appointment now, you might be called in maybe six days, weeks. And he said, no, 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 no. If you're worried about something there like cancer or something, I'll pay for the MRI myself. Right? Yeah. This was on Monday, he was at the doctor Thursday, at half past two, he was blowing Kilkenny getting the MRI. Because he was paying for it. As he said, no, no, if you're talking about cancer, doc, I'm going to pay for it myself. Isn't it absolutely shocking? So what, what is that saying to you, Gary? What? It's just it's just saying, it's fine. 
that the quality of your health care equates to the size of your wallet. Mm. But I mean, which we, is, we, we shouldn't shocking. be surprised at that. I mean, everybody knows that there's a two-tier health health system in this country, Gary, you know? Yeah, I know. It, it's shocking, right? And then here we are. People are struggling with food prices, mortgages, and everything. You know? Well, And here we are. They're all about failing RTE out now. Yeah. Like, 50, million, 50 million. 50 million. Mm. You know? Where is that going to come from? Because they're a public service broadcaster, Gary. Don't forget that. They're the public oh, service yeah. broadcaster. And nobody yeah, else is a public service broadcaster, of course. Um, yeah, what what are you making of it all? Because, I mean, you know, I got a slap on the wrist from the tonish to yesterday because I'm not promoting the positives of the health service, for example. What what do you read into that? Uh, look, he's only saying this. we've done this much. We did this. We have this. We have the best. We have the best cancer service. And we have all this business. And so here we are. Here's my friend that was told you could have a, a cancerous growth there. We need to send you for an MRI, but it'll be six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And then he said, oh, no, I'll pay for it myself. You know what I mean? And then within Days a couple of days, he, he had his then test. Within, yeah. That was a Monday. Or is it half two below and Kilkenny getting it done? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, so, and as you say, I mean, there's like, there's like more money said, right? there's more money in the coffers than than ever before. Really, I know and, it's corporation and, tax, yes. and you know all of that, but yeah. But there's, like you said, friend, he said there's billions there. Yeah. You know, and then there's another thing, friend, about we're bringing all these unfortunate refugees into the country, and there's no place to put them. Mm. Well, they'll be intense. I mean, though, yeah, and the, the other day they were saying, "Oh, we put them up in the tents that are left after electric picnic." Jesus, come on. Mm. Isn't that ridiculous? And they wanted to do the same when the ploughing match is over. Well, I think they're they're putting a bell tents for them or something like that as far as I know. But they're, <laughs> they're guaranteeing them that they won't be in these tents for anything more than six weeks. So how would they can do that? How can they can do that? I don't know. There's well, more people on housing lists and there's more homeless people. I mean, I'm a truck driver, friend, so I'm going around a lot of the cities in the country and I can see it, you know? And you can see some of these these um, refugees, they're walking around, and a lot of them don't want to be here either. Mm. You know, they're they're kind of they just look unhappy and kind of beaten up all the time. You know, but still, we're bringing loads of men, and we've no place to put them. And tell me your thoughts on that. Then, I mean, do you think there should be a cap on numbers? Because there's there's certainly no talk about that happening at look, all. Look, now, don't get me wrong; I'm not anti. Racist, or I, well, I know that by what you're saying to me. I know, I yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. But there should, there has to be a cap because there's no place to put them. Yeah. You know, because putting people into tents, and here we are facing into the winter. Mm. And a lot of these people are coming from uh, warmer climates. Mm. You know, so they're. I don't know what what the situation yeah. is going to be. Like tents at the plowing match, or tents at the electric picnic. Yeah, well, these are just sites that the, the yeah. that might be made available to them to 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 house some of the refugees. In, in general, Gary, before I let you go, are you unhappy with things in general? I mean, I, again, I'm trying to follow the Tarnished's sort of advice from yesterday. Yeah. Are, are there any positives out there that you're looking at? Well, I can't see it the way he was speaking. Anyway, right? He was painting this glorious picture that everything in the garden is roses. Mm. You know, it might I mean, be he spoke about him. a couple of challenges, uh, which challenges. was yeah. Jesus. I am not joking. If you want to, if you want to challenge, 
flying, come on, where there's only one person working, maybe in a factory or in a shop, and they have two kids, and one of them's getting ready to go to college, you know, and the dad is working maybe 50, 60 hours a week. And now the petrol is up, the diesel is up, cost. And the I cost see that of rental accommodation for kids, all that. The finance minister Michael McGrath uh, yesterday he he was warning us that the surge in the corporation tax receipts of recent years it may be abating, and he said that we must be wary of fueling inflation with budget giveaways. Yeah, so budget giveaways. Hmm. But they'll give it to you in one hand and take it off the other. You know, it's like yeah, um, it's like the thing with Apple. You know, when they were saying Apple owes oh, so many it's billion, sixteen is. billion, is it or sixteen, whatever? Yeah, and they just yeah. and all that they keep saying is, "Oh, if you take that off, we we pull out of Ireland." Mm. And it's the, the EU is saying to us, "That's your money, get it off." What will happen? Into the coffers. Now look, I know they can't say right, lad. Here, it's a free for all. Hand out everything. Mm. There has to be a kind of a rainy day fund. But for once, they need to give ordinary people like you and me a bit of a break. Lads that are getting up every well, morning. Well, in, in fairness to them, e- e- even as it is, I mean, they're ignoring the advice of the ESRI who are saying, you know, pull back, lads, because if you look at pure economics, if you do give too much into an economy, you will fuel, uh, fuel inflation, I'm told, by economists out there. So, I don't know. Gary, really good to talk to you today. Thanks you very do, much. Friend. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Gary speaking to us uh, today. All right, then we've been speaking to Councillor Jamie Morris earlier on regarding the interview with uh, the Taunashti yesterday and the state of the emergency services, particularly the trolley crisis at University Hospital Limerick. And now Tanya DeVito McMahon is a member of Nina Needs It's A&E and the Midwest Hospital Campaign and she joins me now. Tanya, good morning to you. Morning. You're somebody else, Tanya, that was infuriated by what you heard yesterday. Um, do, you want to, do you want to talk to me about that? Yeah, um, I was there making a cup of tea and I could hear, and I said, pardon me, Honor, and I'll see if I found a message. And then I could hear what he was talking. And furious isn't, furious doesn't even describe how I felt and how the rest of the Nina Needs A&E committee felt because we all kind of had a, a Zoom thing afterwards. And we, disbelief, absolute disbelief in how insensitive and how condescending he was. He showed no compassion for the consequences of the trolley crisis. He referenced it as being challenges. Challenges. Some some challenges, yes. Some challenges. And and, and I quote, UHL needs to do better, and that's why we're pulling in increased capacity. The man hasn't. He's deluded. He's absolutely deluded. It was so disinherited. And do you know what was worse? What? When you were asking him, uh, he basically, like, chastised you for not putting out any positive aspects of the HSC. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely talking and roaring at the radio, I was just going, how can somebody be like, absolutely no, there's no compassion, there's no empathy, nothing. It was like, do you know what? We've done this. We're fantastic. It's like the backhanded compliment. If someone goes to you, seems your hair is pretty bad. The top is really great. It's, it's, look what I, like, we might be in here, but look what we've done in that can only go so far, friend, before this whole health system falls apart. Yeah, you see, like I, try, I, tried to, I tried to explain to him, Tanya, that, I mean, what we do here is we try and reflect what, mm. what the experiences of yeah. the listeners. And I mean, that's, and if, if they were positive experiences, exactly. we, we would reflect exactly. that. 
this is exactly it. People are really talking to them, going on, on the social media and talking about their experiences on the trolley. If someone was going, I had such a great time, um, my, my cancer diagnosis, or whatever, cardio, cardiovascular, whatever, and it's so positive, that's great. You can talk about that wasn't the issue yesterday. So for someone to completely spin that around, it's unbelievable for one of the leaders of our country. It is unbelievable to not have that any ounce of compassion for the thousands of people that have been lying on trolleys and chairs in that in that hospital. Right, in but, but you're, you're an activist then in Midwest yeah. Hospital campaign. What is that telling you and your colleagues then? What, what I mean, the, here's the tarnished it. Not not fully you know, accepting the enormity it's, it's, of the issue. Yeah, it's it's you're the first thing you go is that they, they don't care. They actually don't care. That's the first reaction, right? They they don't they don't seem to care. When we met with the T-shirt, the director, um, whatever he was at the time, I met with him in Limerick, and he listened to the three stories from three members of the Midwest Hospital campaign. So that would be Connor, Melanie, and Marie McMahon, and he listened to their stories of their loved ones that had died. And you could see, I was watching him, and I could see he, he, was, he was shocked. He was shocked hearing the story. He's never heard those stories before. He's never heard their stories. He sees numbers. They all see numbers. They don't see the real stories behind these numbers. These people aren't just numbers. There are mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, cousins, whatever they are, and they're stuck on trolleys in UHL. Now, there, there was a, um, as, as Jamie said, like, there was 115 people on Monday. Yesterday, 112 people. Now, out of those 112 people on trolleys, 40 of those were in the emergency department. And the other 72 of those people were around the hospital, on trolleys, in wards, on chairs, in cubicles, wherever there was room. So you were adding an extra 72 people onto wards. They're in a corridor on a ward, on a trolley. There could be four people all packed up. That's extra capacity, I'm going to use his word, for people, for nurses, health staff, for the food staff, for the cleaning whatever, the doctors, consultants, that's extra people in that one ward. In that one ward. There's no privacy. There's, there's, they're taking, getting their bloods done, their, their observations done, all on a, a, a corridor or in an emergency department. And what's happening now is people, as Jamie said, people aren't going in. They're not going in. I refuse to go in. I'm not going in. I'll go somewhere else. We've had, uh, but that, that's people. so dangerous, Tanya. It's I mean, so... Yeah. It's, 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 your, your phone is just breaking up on me just a little, uh, Tanya. It might be just where, where you're standing at the moment. Okay. If, um, okay, just just try that again for me, Tanya. Yeah, you were okay. saying. Yeah. So we've, done, we've spoken about this for years. Have you spoken to Jamie and Connor and myself? We've spoken about it for years. Nothing's changing. Nothing seems to be changing. This isn't seasonal anymore. This isn't, oh, it's the winter. This isn't, oh, there's COVID or there's an unusual high amount of people sick. No, this is not working. The reconfiguration is not working. We need to go back and look again at what we're going to do. We're, we're calling on them yeah. to, to make decisive action to address this crisis. Well, the minister not... the minister agreed with that notion yeah. on the programme last year, even though Shamey was saying he's, he's backed off that quite a bit at the moment. Yeah. The, the other thing, Tanya, is Shamey, uh, broke the idea this morning of somebody standing in the general election on the platform of uh, health and and possibly the Midwest uh, hospital yeah. campaign. Um, what, how, do you see that happening? Um, I actually can see that happening because we've spoken about that before in the background. 
And I would very much like to see that happening. And can I just say, I'm delighted Jamie's running again. Yeah. Because out of all the councils, local councils, he's the only one that's coming on talking about this. None of the rest of them are. None of them are doing it. They're all hiding. They're all talking about rules and they're talking about the market and they're talking about whatever else that's important to them. This is what's important. And I just want to say... No, I'm sure they would disagree anyone, with you on that, but... but uh, that's but, fine. But, let them disagree. Okay. But, 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 let what? them disagree with me. That's fine. Sure, Tanya. But, but just tell me why you fine. think that is the case because this is the biggest issue uh, that's out there, arguably, you know. So tell me why... Would they be why they're not doing? Yeah. Why would they be silent? Yeah. Because if it goes back to that old Irish mentality of you scratch my back and I scratch yours. So I want the road opened or the road done up down in uh, Silver Street. I want the, I want it on the pothole ticks, right? Well, you don't say anything then about the, the A and E. That's, that's very that's very and, cynical, Tanya. That's it, very. But Fran, you know this is true. This is going on for years. That's how it works. That's how politicians work. That's how politics work. This is what happens. I'll do this for you if you. If you if you support me on this this that I'm bringing in, I'll support you. You support me. That it's not about the people anymore. It doesn't seem to be about their constituents or about the people anymore. And I'm not the only one saying this. Like I'm coming out and saying it. And if people disagree with me. That's fine. Roads are important. I get that. But our health is our wealth. It's as simple as that. And it's not until somebody belonging to you goes into hospital that you actually understand how bad it is. And like Shabby said, I would love to see Michal Martin go down there and spend a night in the A&E. Any of them. But whenever that happens, Tanya, the smell of fresh paint would knock you over. Oh, do you know? Oh, do you know? See, just, see, just, but it's dance management. Dance management. Who's, who's saying, clean up, clean up, so we're getting a hit? It could come in. What happens? Absolutely nothing. The fire department, absolutely nothing. This is a disaster waiting to happen. And I just want to to say to anyone else that's in hospital or in UHL or in the wing or has been or have the family, make a complaint to the CEO of the hospital. Because if there's no paper trail, they can say, well, we haven't had any complaints because everything is great and we're doing fantastic. Make a complaint. Make a complaint when they're coming around and they're all starting to come around now. They're all looking for our vote. And we're all so happy, happy. We're calling to the houses with our, with our leaflets. Tell them at the door, what are you doing for the emergency department, Michelle? Do you support mm. the reinstatement of the A&E? And at, at this stage now, Fran, it, this isn't a Ennis versus Nina. This isn't we want, Nina wants Nina open and Ennis wants Ennis open and Limerick wants St. John's open. Open one of them. Open an A&E in the Midwest because for 425,000 people, one emergency department isn't enough. And mm. what's going to happen is, this is only September. Come into winter, more people will die on trolleys and be seriously ill. And it's it's just, we spoke about this just, uh, yesterday morning, it's going to be a disaster. So people need to start doing something. Contact your TDs, email your local politicians, TDs, councillors, whatever. Ask them, what are they doing? Because this, it's not, it's not, it's not acceptable anymore. It's not acceptable to keep the Limerick, in Tipperary, in Clare. UHL covers Lahinch or uh, Lourdes to Lahinch. That's huge. So all those little towns and villages mm-hmm. in between, that's absolutely massive. So every single one of those people, when someone comes to your door looking for their vote, looking for your vote, you ask them straight, dead in the eye. What right. are you doing well, about well, Tanya, the, the, the only positive from yesterday is that the conversation is front and centre again, and that has to be... That has to I be don't want to disagree with you on that, Fran, because as Jamie said, Michael Martin went off downtown and did a little spin master around town and, 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 that, and that's what he does and that's fine, that's what they have to do. 
So he completely forgot about that. He knows he was on Tip FM to talk to Fran about X, Y and Z. Then I'm talking to Claire FM. Then I'm talking to whatever FM. And then I have to go downtown and then I'm back to the horse. Are you saying it means nothing, Tanya? Is that it? It I think it means absolutely nothing. Words mean nothing. We've heard words since the reconfiguration. We've heard Stephen Donnelly saying it hasn't worked. Where is the action after those words? There's none. And people need to, people deserve better in the Midwest because the health and well-being of people in the Midwest should be the top priority for the local councillors and and politicians in our area and in us. Well said, Tanya, and we're always happy to to, to give a platform to thank you for Thank you for having me on. We we really appreciate it. Welcome anytime. Thanks, thanks, Tanya. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. Tanya DeVito. Uh, McMahon uh, there, a member of the Midwest Hospital Campaign and indeed also a member of Nina Needs It's A&D. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back. It's time for this. The Conspiracy Files on Tip Today. And the Queen, the Queen of Conspiracy is with me. Uh, Ellie, how are you? Good, Good mor- Fred. How Good are morning you? to you. Uh, this week, of course, marked the 22nd anniversary of the September 11 attacks. And it has to be said, there are a few global events, I suppose, that have uh, attracted the conspiracy theorists most, more than uh, September 11. Uh, Ellie, what's, what, are you, what are you making of all of this? You've been gathering stuff, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, and do you know what? It's a real treasure trove because I think September 11th is huge when you think of conspiracy theories. And I think many believe it was kind of the birth of this new age of conspiracy because remember at that time we were at the very beginning of the 24-hour news cycle. That, though, began during the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm. But this was the first major breaking news story that really benefited from it. But as a result of that and the lack of any real clarity in the immediate aftermath, there was a lot of confusion and supposition. And if we're to look at the conspiracy theories around September 11th, we'd be here all day, Mm. absolutely all day. So we're going to look at some of the more popular ones today. And I think probably the first one that comes to people's minds and probably the most popular is the idea that there was foreknowledge of these attacks. Now, theorists claim that action or inaction, depending on how you look at it, by US officials with foreknowledge was intended to ensure the attacks took place successfully. Um, There's kind of a lot of speculation, and you could really go down the rabbit hole on this, but what they maintain is that before 9-11, an extraordinary amount of put options were placed on United Airlines and American Airlines stocks. And they speculate then that insiders may have known in advance of the coming events of 9-11 and placed their bets accordingly. Now, also, if you look at activity with insurance companies in the days preceding the 9-11 attacks, there was anonymous uh, trading activity as well, about 45 times the normal volume during the three trading days before September 11th. That's odd. Also, a defence contractor, Raytheon, uh, they put up their stock prices as well uh, in the days preceding uh, 9-11. But aside from the financials of it, Air defence. There is a stand-down theory on air defence, a common claim that NORAD, which is the North American Aerospace Defence Command, issued a stand-down order or else deliberately scrambled jets late to allow the hijacked planes to reach their targets without interference. Um, 
so there's a lot of theories about the foreknowledge of it, but I think probably the most popular um, example that's used in terms of foreknowledge is George W. Bush and his reaction yeah. to being told. I think everyone remembers that clip where he's in the school yeah, reading with the, the book. little kids, yeah. He has someone come to his ear and whisper, there isn't a huge change in him. Really? When you consider the enormity of the news, he must have gotten at that Completely, point. but he stays where he is. He's kind of looking around to see what kind of yeah. reaction is he there. He almost has a little smile. A little bit. Yeah. To me, it, it almost spoke of confusion. He didn't really know what he should be doing. Yes. So I think his reaction really was the birth of all of this, was their foreknowledge, because he didn't react the way he probably should have reacted. And he only spoke about this a few years ago, and he explained why he didn't react that way. Andy Card comes up to my behind me and says, second plane is at the second tower, America's under attack. And I'm watching a child read. And then I see the press in the back uh, of the room beginning to get the same message I just got. And I could see the horror etched on the face of the news people who had just gotten the same news. During a crisis, it's really important uh, to set a tone uh, and not to panic. And so I waited for the appropriate moment to leave the classroom. I didn't want to do anything dramatic. I didn't want to, you know, lurch out of the chair and scare the classroom full of children. And so I waited. Try it again. Get ready for the beginning of that sentence. Get ready. He didn't want to lurch out of the chair. And uh, I oh, see his huh. point to a certain degree because it probably would have been worse if he got up and said, "We're at war. We're being attacked." Well, in I, a school. I know, but still, the country was being attacked. Yeah. And uh... do what I remember from that day, actually, because I remember I was was I eighteen or thereabouts. Oh, um, go on, stop. Oh, sure, I was only yeah, young, yeah, but yeah. I was working in a pub, and but every like something happened all the time. The plane hit the first mm, build. The plane yeah. hit the second build. The building collapsed. The Pentagon got hit. A plane was found in Pennsylvania. It was linear in some ways. Completely. Yeah, and it felt yeah. like the end of the world, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know, yeah. It was yeah. very strange. But if you're talking about the inside job theories, another argument for this, and it goes to this 24-hour news cycle as well, that uh, a number of people on scene that day reported hearing various explosions. Um, so most of these reports came just before the collapse of the South Tower that fell first. That collapsed, of course, at 9.58am, 55 minutes after the plane crashed into it. There was a lot of video of eyewitness reports of explosions. Funnily enough, very hard to track down this video in YouTube now. They've, they've there was a glut of them a few years ago. I could barely find one. Wow. Very strange. Are you coming up with your own conspiracy? Well, I promise you there was a glut of them years ago right. of people hearing explosions and now you can't find any. This so is the what, only one I can find. What did you find for us? You found this? This okay. is the one I found. Have a listen. I heard a big explosion. I didn't know what was going on so I decided to look out my window. It's a building complex so you could see the other side of the building. It started going into smoke. My neighbours came banging on my door telling me to get out. That I guess they was evacuating the building and um, I couldn't get out. My door was jammed. Everything off my windowsill fell and I guess the impact of the explosion jammed the door as well. How loud was it? It was extremely loud. I couldn't, I couldn't even explain it to you if I could it. I, it was just... Now, this was explosion before 
before. Before the plane. Yeah, now you could say, like, there's going to be flammable stuff in a building anyway, so maybe that was exploding. There could have been gas canisters, there could have been electrics, anything could have been exploding. But there are a lot of reports of people hearing explosions in the World Trade Centre just before the tower collapsed. And then you feed into the whole thing of, well, why did the tower collapse the way it did? It came down, both of them came down quite perfectly. And you would imagine... Well, a lot of people argue they shouldn't have collapsed at all. Mm. but And there's a lot of for and against on that. Um, a lot of people saying steel shouldn't have, have melted at that degree. But research shows that the fuel spread and the weight distribution, it, it probably would have collapsed the way that it did. Jet fuel burns at 1500 degrees Fahrenheit. Steel melts at 2500 degrees Fahrenheit. However the steel does lose its strength at only 600 degrees. So the weight of the building above it, um, researchers have looked into it, they said it would have been similar to the weight of the Titanic on the building. So it was that weight above the weakened steel structure that led to it collapsing. Now with building number seven, we'll go on to that in a Mm. little while, but building number seven is a different story altogether. But the fact that the building has collapsed probably isn't all that strange. The way that they seem to come down perfectly, perfectly. is a bit strange. Yes. Because the distribution of fuel would have been different. At well, the crash site imagine. itself, it and, would have been and stronger. And it looked like a demolition effort. Completely. You know, it just folded in. Whereas it really yeah. should have toppled over, I think, if you could right. say it was the fuel. Another interesting aspect of, you know, a lot of people say the heat inside would have been crazy, but there's one lady who is very underreported, I think, when it comes to the story of 9-11. And it does maybe put a few question marks I, over this idea. I didn't idea. know about this at all. Edna Sintron. Edna Sintron um, is a bit of a famous one among the conspiracy theorists because there is video footage of Edna in the mouth of the opening of the World Trade Centre that morning, waving. This is after the crash? After though. the crash. Okay. So she would have survived the initial hit from the plane. She would have survived the fire inside. She would have survived what is um, said to have been heat of of 1,500, 1,200, maybe higher degrees Fahrenheit. There is very clear evidence of her. And you saw it. You showed me that this morning. Very clear. She's fine. She's waving at that point. Yeah. Um, but if we're to listen to the science on this... Um, she wouldn't the, have survived. She wouldn't have survived. Because it all. would have been too hot for her. Well, if there. steel couldn't survive, how could exactly. human survive? So we can't explain Edna. Now, her, well, part of her remains were found later on in the recovery um, operation. They don't really know how she died, even though the footage of her waving from the hole is very, very clear. Um, they theorise that either she died during the collapse of the building or she fell from the building while trying to wave for help. But it's some of the clearest footage from that day is Edna waving from the it's hole incredible. of the building. It's incredible. I wasn't aware of that, so it was fascinating to see it today. Are we moving on to building seven? Building number seven, yeah. Oh, this build- is the big one. It, it is really? the big yeah. one, because there's a lot of questions about that. Building number seven was a 47-storey skyscraper that formed part of the World Trade Centre complex. It wasn't hit by a plane on September 11th, but was damaged by debris from the North Tower. Now, fires broke out on multiple floors of the structure and at 5.20pm, many hours after the Twin Towers fell, Building 7 collapsed, also similarly to the World Trade Centre, folded very perfectly. Um, As its occupants, all rescue workers had already been evacuated by that time. There were no casualties. Now, the reasons why... Building number seven is is of big interest. One is that it collapsed at all, despite not having been impacted by the plane at all. Then you could also point to the fact that even authorities acknowledge that Building 7 is the first ever tall structure to collapse as a result of fire damage alone. There's also the thorny issue of its tenants. 
because at the time of the attack, much of the building was leased um, by what you'd expect around that area, American Express, Mm. Investment Bank, Solomon Brothers. But certain floors were taken up by the US Secret Service, the Department of Defence and the CIA. There are also theories that a secret office operated by the CIA was destroyed in the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center, uh, seriously disrupting intelligence operations, and that this office was a base of operations to spy on and also to recruit foreign diplomats uh, stationed at the UN. Um, So another major red flag, I think, in the eyes of conspiracy theorists is the fact that the BBC reported the collapse of Building 7 half an hour before it actually fell. This was, again, widely available on YouTube up until a couple of years ago. Now it can't be found anywhere. But I did see it. It did happen. Uh, BBC journalist Jane Stanley, she's discussing the building's destruction while it's still standing in the backdrop. Good God. Absolutely did happen. And it was discussed with Piers Morgan, actually. Former governor of Minnesota is Jesse Ventura. He spoke to Piers Morgan about his beliefs on 9-11 generally and also in particular the collapse of Building 7. Jesse, what would, we're not. what would you have done on September the 12th, 2001? What would you have done if you'd been president? What would I have done? Yeah. I would have done a legitimate, a legitimate investigation to find out what exactly happened on 9-11. How did they know who did this so quickly like they did Lee Harvey Oswald? How quick they knew Lee Harvey Oswald well, we killed because, Kennedy. Because the people who did it were identified and we knew who they were. Well, then why couldn't we have stopped them beforehand if they were identified and we knew who it they were? It was a failure of intelligence. Everyone's accepted No, it that. wasn't. We knew before with Condoleezza Rice's memo on August 6th when it stated right in the memo, bin Laden took steal planes and run them into buildings and more stuff is coming out now also how much the bush administration ignored the intelligence it was almost like they ignored it because they wanted it to happen oh come off it jesse no not oh come off it every wait a minute every war thought starts with a false flag operation you can't in all seriousness sit there and try and make out anybody How, okay let me ask you this Piers. wait a minute happen. let That's me wait, wait. let me ask you something how many how much studying have you actually done of 9-11 other than what what the government's told you and what mainstream media has told actually. you I was editor, i've been studying it I was four editor years of a national newspaper i've, I've talked to people wait a minute depth every day for really? five six months really so i know a lot about it well, one then thing how i do come, know is let me ask you this you then you cannot say that any member of the the Bush administration knew it was going to happen and wanted it to happen. It's a ridiculous thing to say. Ridiculous. Okay, let's talk about your BBC. I have a tape of a BBC reporter broadcasting directly back to England talking about a third building has collapsed. World Trade Center Building 7 talks for seven minutes. All the while she's talking World Trade Center Building 7 is still standing right behind her. It didn't fall for another half hour, yet they were doing a pre-broadcast back to England that, yes, it's true, that this building fell and it hadn't fallen yet. If you're trying to make out the British Broadcasting Company, one of the most respected news organizations in the world, was inventing huge buildings falling over, you need to have a a break, Jesse. We'll come back after the break and we'll talk about Israel and Iran.
kidding me? This is a fact. You know, I, love him. I almost fear for Piers Morgan there because I, I know where he was coming because that claim, I mean, is it incredible. Did happen. Yeah. It did happen. It's and there was evidence up until and, a couple of years ago. And just to remind ago. people again, that was Jesse Ventura there, former governor of Minnesota. Yeah, so and so a big um, a big speaker in relation to 9-11 yes. and a truth seeker, I think he calls himself. Not, not a Republican. Uh, not a Republican, okay. no. Oh, right. Just to go through some of the other ones briefly, yes. Flight 93, we know that that crashed in Pennsylvania, according to officials, but some would say it was actually shot down and that the passengers were made into heroes publicly so that people wouldn't question it, which would have been a good move. Uh, the one that really interests me, I think, and you a little bit, the yeah. Pentagon attack. That's, yeah, that, for me, that's... Incredible. It didn't happen. Yeah. I don't think it happened at all. I'd like, I know the Pentagon was attacked, but I, I can't see how a plane Why, flew because there was it. no documentation of it, is that But it, there's no video evidence no, of it. No, I mean, nothing, when yeah. you think this is the headquarters for the Department of the, the Defence, meant to be one of the most secure and I would imagine um, has CCTV all over the place. The only video footage we've ever seen of the Pentagon attack is a very grainy uh, frame by frame video from a gas station across the street. That's all we have ever seen of the Pentagon attack. And it was, it, the Pentagon must be covered in camera Absolutely footage. covered. Yeah. We have yeah. never seen anything. Uh, another interesting aspect of the Pentagon attack and it kind of plays into the, I mean, what would be the motive? So I think a lot of people would attribute the war in Iraq as a huge motive that it gave the US give an excuse absolutely to, yeah. to go in. Yeah. Also, the New World Order—they're going to be blamed for everything anyway. But that 9/11 was initiated by a variety of banking, corporate, globalization, and military interests for the purpose of creating a globalist government. Um, but another interesting one is that maybe it could have been used as a cover-up for serious financial wrongdoings. Now, this is a claim involving then Secretary of Defence Donald Rumsfeld and it was discussed really well and very succinctly on an, ep on an episode of Joe Rogan and here's what he said. You want to hear another conspiracy theory that, that you probably don't know is going to blow your mind? Let's do it. The day before 9-11, the day before the attacks, Rumsfeld gave a press conference where he talked about trillions of dollars missing. The day. Then... A plane slams into the very part of the building where they were doing the accounting. Blows up half the building of the Pentagon. Blows up a wall. Donald Rumsfeld was on, where was it, the White House lawn? Listen to this. According to some estimates, we cannot track $2.3 trillion in transactions. <laughs> 2.3. Okay, now, again, somebody told you that Literally, like right before 9-11 happened, they said they, they couldn't track $2.3 trillion. You'd go, no, that didn't happen. That did not happen, but it did happen. $2.2 trillion. Trillion, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And if I lost a fiver, I'd be... <laughs> and the chances of it all, you know, the officer, all the accounts are being blown up and destroyed. Oh, darn it. Now we'll never know where it went. Go on, let me ask you, what do you make of it all? I don't know. I mean, like, if you go down the rabbit hole, it can really mess with your head because yeah. there's also the theory, and I, I just didn't have time to go into it, that the planes going into the World Trade Center were really holograms mm. and, you know, they were missiles with holograms of planes on them to fool everybody. I mean, I don't know. Was there foreknowledge? 
probably to some degree, maybe, you know, they knew something was going to happen. They weren't sure exactly, but they probably knew the people involved were a threat. Um, Pentagon, I absolutely believe, did not happen. Would you imagine that, I mean, the only thing that really bothers me about it is the speed of the reaction to the planes being in the air in the first place. When they discovered there was a problem, why why weren't the fighter jets scrambled Scrambled. immediately? Exactly. And why was the NORAD system taken down? You would imagine that would have been brought up very quickly. Um, That's why I believe the Pennsylvania plane was shut down. I think anything that was in the air after a certain time was probably shut down. We were speaking to Barbara uh, last week on the programme. No, it was September 11th, whenever that was. And uh, she was telling us that she was in Pennsylvania at the time and that crash just happened a few miles from her. But again, that story is there. The bravery of the passengers who deliberately brought down the plane, even though... That's true, but um, debris from that crash was found over a very wide area. So if it came down, it wouldn't have been so wide. Like parts of it were found four or five miles away from the actual crash site or the deemed crash site. So I don't know. I think a lot of it, it's very, there's a lot of it we, I think we'll never find out. Yeah, but as you say, you go down a complete rabbit hole. uh, You could be there for a week. If you go down there, I mean, it's crazy. And then it goes into lizard people and it goes into a lot of the. I'll go into that another week because that's yeah. a David Icke theory that the world is ruled by a, an alien well, there, race of lizard people. There's the most credible people. man in the whole world, David Icke. <laughs> All right, Ali, thanks very much thanks, indeed. Uh, thank you. Uh, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks very much, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Don't forget, uh, we will uh, have our garter uh, Alton Nisbet with us before the end of the programme. So if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us, please? 83 311 Jackie is in Cashel and she says we're dealing with a society that is full of disrespect and intimidation, especially from people in power. The uh, island of Ireland is an absolute disgrace between this, that and everything else. Seriously time for change and people speaking up and speaking out for themselves. Enough is enough. You promise this and that, but yet when you go looking for it, all you get is a closed door in your face. It's absolutely disgraceful. There is no health system, says Jackie in Cashel. And speaking of Cashel, uh, we'll be on outside broadcast, in fact, this coming Friday in the City of the Kings. And we'll have the outside broadcast unit just outside of uh, uh, Daverns there opposite uh, the plaza. So we're looking forward to that. And of course, it is uh, Cashel. Arts Week uh, coming up and that kicks off in fact uh, tomorrow. Now we were speaking to Councillor John Fitzgerald this morning uh, about the story that a number of estate agents and auctioneers have been fined for littering for putting up their for sale signs. Well Tracy was in contact with us and she joins me now. Tracy good morning to you. Good morning friend thanks for having me on. You're very welcome indeed Tracy. Tell me about your experience of uh, trying to erect signage Um, I think it's about the farmer's market is it in Thurles? Um, it was a different market. Um, well, it was with the farmer's market and a, another market I was involved in. 
Uh, mm. We applied for the council for permission from the council to put up signage, and we found it very difficult. The process of applying for permission from the council for starters was a bit difficult, and then we found them very hard to deal with. They didn't allow it at the beginning to put up signage, mm. and then when they did, we weren't allowed to put it in certain places. Like we weren't allowed to put any signage in the square in Thurles, right. and it was very limited, so people didn't get to see our signage to start with. And like we did have to meet a compromise with them, obviously. But like a lot of people commented, "Oh, we didn't see any of your signage," so we weren't able to market the right. market. But you, but you did go through the, the the proper routes on this. You did apply for permission, which is what you you should do. And you yes. know, are, are you saying to me then that the auctioneers are giving out about a situation where they didn't make those applications and you know, do you think it's well, right they that they're being fined? I can see in one way why because it is very hard, it is a hard process and to get the council to agree to signage is very difficult and a lot of people don't because of that. Right. Yes, they might be wrong in doing so oh, um, and then they get their fines which in one way is the law mm. but it, it is a very difficult process and I can stand to that because but we, could, we did could I play devil's advocate on it for a moment, uh, Tracy, and say to you that, you know, if everybody took on the idea of putting up signs to advertise their wares or advertise their radio station or their, their programmes or their, their takeaways or whatever, sure, the place would be like kind of awash with signage. Oh, this is why there is the, you have to apply the for permission. Yes, yeah. Yeah. This is why he got fined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the law. But, yeah, uh, but agree, are you, yeah, are you sympathising with them or do you think that, you know... I am sympathising to one degree, but uh, because it is a very difficult process that we found it very, very hard. Mm. Like, we wouldn't break the law and put up the signs without going for permission. Yes. You know, in the first place, because we wanted to do everything by the book. Okay. And, and, and that's very commendable. Extremely, yeah. yeah, we did find it extremely difficult. They, like, they could kind of make it an easier process for people to put up signs. Yeah, because if you take farmer's market, I mean, everybody is pro-farmer's market, that idea that we would have local produce available uh, for for, yeah. for sale. And and still it's difficult for you to get around the red tape. It is very difficult to get around the red tape, and mm. that's what we found in yeah. doing so. You know, and even if they had the exclusion zones properly put up on their website, there was no information on the exclusion zones. Yes. Do you know, there is no information for people like farmers markets to know where you can put the signs up in the first place. They seem to have one rule for one person and another rule for others because like, we've seen signs on the square for other things which we were like, well, why can't we put our signs there? Yeah, well, you're right because Ali was trying to research some of the law around this this morning and she found it difficult particularly to get um, uh, any notion of the law where Tipperary was concerned. So it was difficult to find out uh, what the story is. But it certainly is not legal to just go and put up signage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult. All right, so so you think there should be be an easing on this, I I guess is what you're saying to me, Tracy, in some way for, for certain things, is that it? Yeah, and there should be more information on where signs can go and for certain groups of people, maybe, and information about it. Right. And when you got permission, did you have to pay a fee? I think we did, yeah. If I remember correctly, we did have to pay a fee. Right, for for the temporary permit or whatever, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we had to pay a fee for the permit was signed, yeah. Right. The fees were interesting. Right. We had to pay a fee for the use of the car park and everything. Interesting. All right, Tracy. Well, good to talk to you and good to have that particular angle on the discussion as well. Thanks very much indeed, Tracy. And by Thank the you. way, let's let's advertise. When when are you having farmers market next? Um, I'm not involved with. Or you're not involved. My health has declined, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to hear that. All right, Tracy. Good to talk to you today. Thank you very much indeed. All right. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. Uh, educating era is uh, Ireland's newest second-level education platform that was founded by two Tipperary natives from Clonmel and Tipperary Town, respectively. And Emma Corbett is one of the founders, and she joins me now. Emma, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me on the show. You're very welcome indeed. Will you just tell us about Educating Era and what exactly it is? What exactly it is? So it pretty much does what it says on the tin. Educating Era is a secondary school online education platform and I suppose it's a multifaceted approach to secondary education. Our goal, our goal is to make education more affordable, accessible and inclusive for everyone. And we, we aim to do this by providing a, a wide range of products and services for junior cert and leaving cert students and parents as well. So we offer weekly grinds. Uh, from as low as fifty euros for four lessons a week, um, sorry, fifty euros for four lessons per month. Mm-hmm. Revision courses, career guidance um, services, as well as study skills. Personally, I'm a big advocate in working smarter, not harder, and I think it can be revolutionary to to young students studying if they have the right skills in place. And then we also have free resources for students and parents, as well as Ukrainian students living in Ireland and in our secondary education system at the moment and I suppose the first of these free events is happening tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, online um, so it will be an information evening for all parents and students embarking on the leaving cycle journey I suppose and we will be giving an intro into all things CAO, DARE, HERE, alternative pathways to higher education as well as study tips and tricks and um, I suppose a chance to meet some of our fantastic tutors as well. Very good. And how can people get access to that? Uh, how should they dial that up, so to speak? Yep. So they, there's a couple of options. So we have it advertised um, and available on our social media. So there's just a brief form. And then once they fill out the form, then we'll send them over the link for tomorrow. So it's just click the link and you'll automatically join at 7 p.m. tomorrow. As well as on our website, educatenera.ie we have a form as well where you can express your interest and register for the event. I was having a look online, Emma, and what you do is very extensive indeed. I mean, all courses covered, including music as well. Where are your tutors coming from, though? Yep, so I suppose that's one of the amazing um, advantages of being an online platform is that we can have tutors from all all around the country. So we have handpicked um and trained uh, the very best of tutors, in, as you said, in all subjects. So you have access to tutors from the best of tutors from around the country, mm. all in the one space. Um, so it's it's you know it's time saving. It's there's no travel involved, and um, mm. all our tutors are very vibrant. And how does it work? I mean, you know, if I join, let's take geography just for an example. If I speak yep. to the tutor on geography, is it one-to-one? Is it complete one-to-one interaction? Is that the way it works? It's not actually one-to-one, but um, our classes are very 
personalised and uh, feedback, we get individualised feedback both for the parents and the students. So you would sign up, you would choose either I want to be in the small class size or I would like to be in the large class size. And, and I suppose it just depends on, on your budget, um, which one you want to go for. So the large class size is, is a bit cheaper um, than the smaller one. Um, but I know that the group aspect of the grinds is sometimes um, a worry for parents and students mm. because they mightn't be willing to speak up as much, you know, yes. as, as and, and things like that. So all our all our tutors incorporate uh, quizzes and make grinds fun and interactive um, mm. and, and cater for all, kind of, um, cater for all personalities. And can I go back on the grind if I want to? Yep. Yeah. Yes, you can. So that's another um, advantage of being online. So once the grind is finished, a student can revisit it. It will be recorded. Anyone in attendance or registered for that class will get the recording of it for a period of time so they can go back and it's there forever. So when something is covered, there's no need to revisit it then uh, unless there's a specific question. And, and, yeah. and once you pay, then you, you obviously have access to that uh, in, in some way. And in terms of the grinds themselves then, they're obviously at specific times in terms of the live grind. Is that is that the way it works? Yes. So the, so the live grinds, because there is so many subjects, so there's 23 leaving third subjects and 15 junior cycle subjects that we are offering at the moment. So because there are so many subjects and so many levels, all the timetables are on our website and you can choose the time that suits you. There are currently 181 different times and levels and subjects that you can choose from. So it's all there on our website. You could just go into the subject you want, pick the time that suits you, and pick the class size that suits you. Right, and uh, you mentioned leaving certain needless to say, but I mean, what about other classes? Are are they are they catered for as well? Yes. So junior cycle is also running, and yeah. um, so we're running at the moment fifteen different subjects uh, for junior cycle. Um, and as well, just to mention, um, you know, there are leaving certain opportunities to study. Um, subjects that mightn't necessarily be offered in in your school. So if you want to take a co-curricular class, that that will also be catered for. And I think it's important to provide that to to the students so that they can study what they want for their leaving. Right. And I know you spoke to me about this at the top, but just give us an indication once again of the cost then now that we know a little bit more about how it works. Just remind us of the cost again, Emma. Yep. So the cost for the weekly grinds uh, for the small class size, is €90 Euro per month. So there's four classes for €90 Euro in the small class size. Um, and then the larger class size, the cost is €50 Euro per month. So you get four grinds for €50 Euro per month with some of Ireland's leading tutors. Right. Uh, do you have access to notes then as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So after every grind, um, all the notes that the teacher has provided will be uploaded and, and given to you along with the recording link of the session. Um, and then there'll be, you know, there'll be maybe assignments or opportunities to submit your own work then for, for teacher feedback on it. Right, well, that sounds like a very exciting idea indeed. Emma, what, I presume your own background is education, is it? Um, my background, so my personal background is in financial math. 
Uh, so I have, a, I have a degree from uh, NUIG and I'm also registered with the Teaching Council. Um, I do have experience teaching grinds in, in both um, a private and voluntary setting. So I suppose this is a labour of love for myself and, and my colleagues um, to answer all the problems and questions that have come up over the years uh, and provide um, provide just a, a one-stop shop for all educational needs. All right. Well, it's a very interesting uh, idea indeed. And uh, just to remind people again then, tomorrow, 7pm, uh, there's that free information evening. Yes. Tomorrow at 7pm online, we have a free information evening for anyone interested in learning more about CAO, all everything leaving cert, as well as study skills for students and a chance to meet some of our tutors in person. All right. Uh, and, of course, the platform itself is called Educating Era. Emma, well done, and thanks very much indeed for coming on with me this morning. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Thank thanks a million. Bye-bye to you. That's Emma Corbett, who's one of the founders of that uh, idea, Educating Era. 1800-938-007. Some breaking news for you. The RTE Director-General, Kevin Backhurst, he's announced a recruitment freeze with immediate effect and he said that all discretionary spending will be stopped. Now, in an email to staff, uh, Mr. Backhurst says uh, that he regrets the move as it will impact on RTE's coverage and an investment in equipment and digital plans as well. He said that given the steep fall in the licence fee and the uncertainty over interim funding, it is the only responsible thing that we can do. Now, the cynic in me would say that, of course, he would put that out there ahead of uh, putting out the big and bowl for the 50 million from the taxpayer. But anyway, there you go. 083 311 Don't forget gardening. Your gardening queries, please, to 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, you're welcome back to uh, Tip Today. I was speaking to Tracy just a few moments ago and uh, we referenced uh, Thurnus Farmers Market. Well, we're told that it's on every Saturday morning from half past nine until half past twelve and it's going from strength to strength, I believe. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio now by a gentleman who's a frequent contributor to the show. Jasper Murphy is with me of McCarthy's in Feather. Good morning to you, Jasper. How are you? Morning, friend. You have a remarkable story indeed about Maggie Marr, a colosty woman um, who emigrated in in the um, mid-1800s. Will you tell me the story and how you found out about it in the first place? Right, I found out the story by accident. Um, I was in the bar working one night and I was about to go to the office to do some dreaded paperwork and I walked into the back room just to take a look around and a gentleman turned around and just said, are you Jasper? And I said, I am. And he said, I've been told to talk to you. So he introduced himself, uh, Robert Boldus and his wife, Margaret Carsley, and they were here from the States and basically they were following their family heritage. Um, Robert's, I think, great-great-grandfather and great-great-grandmother both came from Slave Naman, but different sides. The great-great-grandfather was uh, Thomas Kelly, and he came from Killarney. 
and great-great-grandmother was a lady called Mary Marr and she came from just above Calusty. Mm. And then he went on to tell me an amazing story um, about how Mary Marr's sister, Maggie, followed Mary out to America and ended up working for Emily Dickinson, the poet, and saved the poetry of Emily Dickinson. And basically the story goes that uh, Emily Dickinson had published, she had published about nine poems in her lifetime. Yes. Yeah. And uh, upon her death, um, Maggie had a trunk full of poetry that she had written. She was writing these poems on bits of paper and little bits and they gave it all to Maggie, who she trusted. And Maggie had the trunk that she took from Steve Lamont underneath her bed. So she put all these pieces of paper in. And when Emily Dickinson was dying, she called in Maggie and said, burn everything when I die. But Emily had the value of an education. As far as I know, she was educated in a hedge school around Calusty and recognised that the poetry was, was important yes, and valuable. To, to say the very least. Yeah, yeah so she contacted um, Emily's brother upon her death and said, listen, I, I was told to burn this stuff, but I think it's too important. The brother agreed and he started to publish the poetry and she became America's foremost poet. And also in that trunk was the only known picture of Emily Dickinson, the one that you've seen on books yes. and television, whatever. So she saved that. Because Emily Dickinson, of course, was a hermit, basically, wasn't she? She was She, was, she, she, she hardly wasn't. stirred out of her room, did she? she? she no, she stayed around the house, but she, um, uh, she socialised with her staff. Yeah. And a lot of the staff, it's very funny because there was a big change in culture in the Dickinson household. Initially, they didn't want Irish people. Irish were like, no blacks, no dogs, yeah, no Irish, yeah. and that's the way it was. And the Mars, I think, were the first Irish servants to go in there. And Maggie became very friendly with Emily. And as a result, when Emily Dickinson was carried to her grave, it was six Irish men carried her coffin. Was it indeed? Yeah, I so like the whole it. thing changed. Maggie was intelligent and got on well with her. And a lot of, um, said the inflections from her speech that, that were in her poetry that confused scholars for years actually came off the mountain. They came off Sleeve of the Man. So it influenced her work? Oh, it did, oh, yeah. So it, um, it, it, there's references in the poetry. You'll hear words like himself and yeah. herself. Yes. Like, where did that well, come where from? Where did that come from? It came from yeah. Sleeve of the Man. Yeah. Well, Sleeve of the Man, you'll hear that in Clonwell yeah. and Federton, yeah. any town around Tipperary. So, um, it's, it's an incredible story. Why are we only hearing about this now? I mean, why? We're, I suppose it was overlooked and it wasn't really... It, it took uh, scholars years to realise that uh, there was a Celtification of Emily Dickinson by Maggie Marr. Yes. And they've realised it in the past few decades. So Robert told me the incredible story. Like, he um, he followed it up. And initially, they didn't want anything to do with the story. His family didn't want anything to do with the story because they went over there in poverty. Um, they were servants, maids, labourers, and they worked their way up through society. So Robert's um, family are now lawyers, doctors, solicitors. So... He became interested in the story because Robert, although he's an accountant and he ran the city of Chelsea in upstate New York, is also a playwright. So he's a man of letters as well. So he became interested and he started asking the older people in his family the story. And bit by bit, he got little dribs and drabs. They didn't really want to talk about the impoverished maids that were in the family. Yeah. But he got little bits and pieces like um, on a good day from the Mar house, you can see the Rock of Cashel up on the side of Sleeve Lamont. And little tidbits like that kept coming. So he came over to find the houses. And um, mm. and, and with respect, Jasper, why you? Uh, why me? Uh, 
basically he was staying in the B&B in Feathered and they said you have to meet Jasper right and I suppose they know that Be- I write I write stories because you love history of course. I love history oh, well, and I read yeah. history in college and I I love stories yeah like there's loads of stories around this area that this one just came to the fore but there's others about other people in that are around Feathered Lestrone and Clanmel that should more should be known about them but mm. just isn't so basically he came to me with the story the following day they were going to visit the two houses so the house in Killarney is quite easy to find so I um, I called a friend of mine Becky Forsell one day and said Becky where is that house so she showed me where it was it's up above the school in Killarney Right. And is it in ruins? No, it's, it's, no? A, it's in very good condition. Right, I think okay. Becky's uncle owns it. Okay. So they stay there. But the other house was a nightmare. So they told me, they came back the following day and they said, oh, we found both houses. Now, I don't think they actually went to the Maggie Marr house. Mm. Well, they, I don't think that they could have. It's really difficult to find. So I went up, I made three trips up to try and find it. And uh, stupidly, I went up the first day on a bike in cycling shorts and got torn apart. Couldn't find it. So I went back up again another day. Couldn't find it. So... I thought I had found it and I went back down to Colosti and I said, there's one man here who'll know where this house is and whether I found the right house. So Christy Williams' door, half door was open. So I said, Christy's inside. Looked in the door, Christy was having a cup of tea and I said, Christy, where is, do you know where the Mar house is on Stephen Mon? He said, I do. He said, I go one better. He said, I own it. <laughs> he bought it. The, the last well. of the Mar family married into the Williams family. Right. And so when the last of that family died out, Christy bought the piece of land that they owned and the house. So he said, it's probably flattened at this stage. He said, because he uh, left Gwil to go in. So there's trees all around mm. it, there's bramble. Mm. So I went back up, found a house, brought the pictures down and showed them to Christy. And he said, no, that's Halpins or Ryan's. I said, I won't say what I said. <laughs> so bleep. I went, yes. I bleep, yeah. yeah. So I went back up again and I was about to give up. And then I just saw a wall. I said, the, the wall wasn't built here for no reason. So I followed the wall. And in behind these laurels, I found the house. And I took another picture, brought it down to Christy, and he said, yeah, that's the Mar house. So I don't think Robert and Margaret, I think they were, they were brought to a house on Sleeve them on, but I don't think they were brought to <laughs> that idea. house. So, OK, you have the story of all the bits and pieces. What did you decide to do with it? Well, I decided to write it down, and I wrote it initially for the Featherton Colusty newsletter. Yes. It comes out every year. And they published it, and I, I just thought, this story needs to be bigger. So... I wrote the story and I sent it to Ireland's own and they got back to me fairly quickly and said, we like the story and if you write it a bit more, we'll give you a cover. So a few months later, I got the cover story on Ireland's own. Um, And then a few months later, I was contacted again by... uh, Robert and Margaret stayed in contact with me. Yeah. And they said, there's a production in America and they're thinking of coming to Ireland and they'd like to play it. It's it's about Maggie Marr and the Celtification of Emily Dickinson. And they said, they'd like to play it somewhere near where Maggie came from. So I said, well, if the lady is, Rosemary Kane is her name, and she's originally from Ardeen, County Loud. So a few months later, Rosemary came over and um, saw the Abbey Mill Theatre and thought, this is the spot for the show. And I brought her outside and I said, you can't really see it, but where the, the forest line is over there in the distance, that's where Maggie Marr came from. So she said, well, this is the closest theatre to Maggie Marr's home place. The story's important, and she asked me then, would I... Take, take them in. So there's a 14-man troupe coming from America in a few weeks to put the show on. So it's a musical? It's a musical, yeah, based around the life of Maggie Marr and Emily Dickinson. So it's um, Rosemary's music and the poetry of Emily Dickinson. Wow. And it, it's playing in a few schools because Emily Dickinson is on next year's Leaving Cert. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of interest there 
both locally and nationally. Of course there is indeed. So when is it happening at the Abbey Mill? It's happening on the 23rd of September. Okay. And tickets and tickets are on sale? Tickets are for sale. I won't even try and give you the website. The easiest way is go on to feddert.com. Okay. The current news page. And there's a link. Joel Kenny has put a direct link to the tickets. Yeah, because I would imagine there'll be huge interest in this. I hope so. And, like, there won't be an awful lot of tickets because the show that's coming, they're bringing a lot of people from the Arts Council, so there's 30, 30 of the tickets held back for them. Okay. And people might be interested nationwide are coming to film it because they think it's a really interesting story. Yeah, and Maggie is, is one of yeah. those characters, like a lot of characters in, the, in Ireland, uh, that's not really well known and should be. Yeah, she certainly should. Because, I mean, her importance is... I mean, are, are you really saying to me that unless she did what she did, we wouldn't be aware of the canon of work of... If Maggie, Marr, if Maggie Marr hadn't pulled that trunk from under, underneath her bed, it had 1,700 and poems. And if, if she burnt it if as she burnt them, Emily Dickinson wanted... We probably wouldn't have heard of Emily Dickinson because she had only published nine poems in her life up to that. So if it wasn't for Maggie Marr, Emily Dickinson wow. would not exist. And, like, Emily Dickinson has influenced writers... Musicians, Absolutely. Tom York and Radiohead is a fan. You know, you, you, it's, yeah. it's huge the influence that she's had. I think it's marvelous altogether. Um, so the twenty third of September, that's uh, happening. Will you write further? Are you going to continue investigation into this? Or? Into this one? Like, uh, I would imagine there's a book in Maggie Marr, is there? I think the book in Maggie Marr is probably been written in America. There's yeah. a lot of work being done. Um, I, it's known now. The story is known. Right. It's out there. And a woman has written a book about it. I think it's called Made as Muse yeah. about Maggie Marr. So that bit's been done. No, I'm probably going to go off into a different Do rabbit hole. Else, There's yeah. a few other federal people I want to follow up on. And, and why not? But are there lots of stories out there, Jasper? There are. Well, have you yeah. ever heard of Henry Kellett? No, I don't think so. No, well, he was an explorer. He was in the, in the British Navy. Yeah. And there's a direct link between him and the Resolute Desk that sits in the Oval Office in the White House. And if you go to Hong Kong and go up on the peak where you view Hong Kong, you're standing on Kellett Mountain. Are you? Henry so Kellett I've was... Been a, there, yeah? Yeah. Serious? You're on, I, I went looking for it and I couldn't find it until I looked at something and realised that I was standing on Kellett Mount, Mount Kellett. He was a very important man in the British Navy and um, have we time for the story about yeah, the sure, desk? Yeah, yeah. Okay, basically, they were sent looking for the missing voyage. Um, that, uh, four ships went and um, Kellett's ship, uh, the HMS Resolute, got trapped in the ice and this was in uh, northern Canada. So he was ordered to abandon his ship, join the other three boats that were on the voyage and go back to England. So he did that, but the ship took off on a voyage of its own and it was found by a whaler, Captain Buddington, um, hundreds of miles from where it had been abandoned. The Empty. Ice. Empty, nobody Empty. on board. Right. So at the time, relations between England and the colonies were poor. There was a chance they would have gone to war. Yeah. So it was brought to Connecticut and Congress in America restored the ship and gave it as a present to Queen Victoria as a peace gesture. So Victoria was very impressed with the ship, stood on the ship and in England and didn't leave it, leave, it wasn't allowed to leave English waters again. And when it was decommissioned a few years later, um, she ordered that four desks be built from the finest timbers of the boat. She kept one for herself. She gave one to the widow of the person who financed the restoration of the ship. I don't know where the next one is, but mm. the last one is in... It's called the Resolute Desk, and it's in the Oval Office in the White House. Still? Still. It, it's, it's the one. If the you look desk at, that we keep seeing. If you, know. you see a picture of John, wow. the famous ones of John F. Kennedy Isn't and all the presidents, 
Right. Uh, and Mr. Kellett was from where exactly? Clonacody. Clonacody. Clonacody House. The house itself? Yeah. That's wow. a, that was Kellett's before Carrigan's bought it. Isn't that incredible? And literally straight across the road from there, um, another man emigrated called the Millionaire Walsh, a carpenter, learned his trade in Clonbell, went over and followed the gold rush. But instead of looking for gold, he sold them all their supplies. So he sold them jeans and pigs. He was a very smart man. And yeah. with the money that he made, he built a hotel. And then he went back into college, educated himself, and found his own mine and became one of the wealthiest men in America. And at one stage, his family owned the Hope Diamond, which is in the Smithsonian, worth something like 70 or 80 million. So there's, like, there's two stories that I have from Feathered. There must be a story there in every be. village and every in this country. And every, isn't it incredible altogether? Yeah. 23rd of September. What's the show called, by the way? The Calification of Emily Dickinson. Okay. Very good indeed. I'm sure it'll be a complete sellout. Great to see you, Jasper. Thanks very good much. Good to see you again, Frank. Indeed. 1800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. And uh, the text and WhatsApp is 83 311 It's time for gardening and delighted to be joined as usual by Alton Nesbitt. Good morning to you, Alton. Good morning, Fran. And uh, good to talk to you today. Spring bulbs, Alton. And, uh, well, we should expect a riot of colour there, I suppose. Exactly, and this is a great time of year to, to plant all your spring bulbs. Um, and, and there's such a wide collection um, that, that you can start putting into your garden. Because it's lovely, um, really, to kind of uh, plan ahead and to have great colour right through the springtime going in, into the summer, really. And and um, really, the, the nice ones really start off with, I suppose, are, are snowdrops. And the snowdrops are probably one of the first ones to come into flower. I mean, really, there are fantastic ones, the, the doldrums of winter, and then you, you, you have these emerging and mm. have just great, great um, colour in them. And I love those in kind of in drifts, really, um, either out throughout the lawn or even under woodland areas, if you have. Um, and what's lovely with those then as well is have the crocuses. Once the snowdrops finish, then you have the lovely crocuses that come on then as well. And they're particularly nice. And you can get them in multicolours as well. Lovely yellows. And golds and whites and things like that into your 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 lawn as well as into your woodland area. Um, other bulbs then that are quite good for for after those are the um, lovely thing called anemones, mm-hmm. and I think the the anemones are, are particularly nice. The blanda uh, anemones. These are these are little um, small dwarf anemones, and these come up quite quick easily, and they're very good now in you have, if you have a sunny position because the flowers tend to open up in the sunlight and then close at night. They're particularly spectacular that way. I, I, I think they're, they're, they're particularly nice. Lovely daisy-type flowers that come from those. Other things then, um, which are good then along the edge of the borders and that, and, and that are dwarf in height are the dwarf little test-head daffodils. I think they're particularly good in, in very exposed areas or even in containers or, or window boxes where they're particularly good. Because they don't go too high, they're not going to flop over all over the places. They stand upright and they're almost like a multi-headed um, daffodil. So they give great display right through the um, whole spring as well. And they're quite hardy. They keep coming every year and you can lift them to buy those every five years or so. So you can kind of spread them out through, throughout the garden. Um, other bulbs then would be the kind of things that um, uh, just the alliums. They're quite good to plant now as well. 
and these are the big onion and tap um, bulbs. Mm. And these kind of flower more more later on in, in during the summer months, really. But they're good to plant plant at this stage. And again, I've always kind of plant about three bulbs together um, uh, to give a good display with the alliums. And more with the daffodils and crocuses and snowdrops, plant about five bulbs together so you get a good display as well. Again, the rule of thumb with planting any of those bulbs is planting twice the depth of, of the bulb. So again, just uh, uh, if, if it is a daffodil, plant it twice the depth of that size of the bulb into the ground. And always again, put the narrow side of the, of the bulb up, upright, facing upright. And that, that um, uh, will, will encourage it to, to grow a lot better and a lot quicker for you. But, but if you have very heavy soils, um, especially with tulips and things like that, it's good to add a little bit of either uh, grit or sand at the base of the hole when you plant the, the bulb into it and then um, uh, top it up with a good uh, bulb compost. Or even uh, if you have a, a John Innes uh, multipurpose compost, is quite good because um, that's gritty uh, and um, it's pre-draining as well. Um, then once you have all the bulbs planted, it's nice to have something, let's say, in your containers, is to have something uh, coming coming with those, like complementary plants that will flower with the, with the spring bulbs. So I always love to have wallflowers uh, top planted on, on, on a lot of the containers, especially the window boxes as well, because the wallflowers have give a great array of colour, but as well as they have a magnificent scent off them. And especially if you have uh, the hyacinth um, and even the, some like the top planted cyclamen as well, um, just it really gives a riot of colour, really. Because with the cyclamen, you have um, lovely bright orange and yellows and, and, and um, uh, pinks uh, with those. And they're fantastic for frying right through the whole winter months. With the cyclamen, it's very important to keep deadheading them mm. because uh, once if a flower fades on it, it tends to rot the whole thing. So it's very important to keep keep um, taking the, the um, uh, deadheads off them. Now, what I mean by that is to remove the whole flower stalk, to, uh, pinch it right down to the base uh, uh, between the leaves and, and pull out the, the flower stalk uh, from the base of the, the bulb that's formed. Um, and that will encourage it to produce more flowers for you. Because if would you open up the leaves uh, down at the base, you see all these rows of these um, flower buds uh, starting to emerge. So that will just uh, keep uh, prolific flowering right through the whole spring as well. And they really are fantastic. Other plants to go with them as well is a thing called bellus. And the bellus is lovely daisy-type flowers. Um, and, and bellus perennials. So these are, are, are almost like perennial um, daisies, really. You can plant them in your containers and your, your winter boxes, or even on your borders as well, they're particularly good. But they, again, lovely, like, bright daisy colours uh, come from them. A thing called Forget-Me-Not, which has that colour, almost like a lovely blue feathery type flower that comes out in it. Now, people say to me, oh, God, Forget-Me-Not, they, they spread and succeed everywhere. I mean, they're magnificent for doing that. <laughs> and I love things that really take care of themselves, yes. uh, uh, spread themselves uh, into the gravel or into the path as well. So forget me not is particularly good for that. If you if, if you want if you want something that spreads very well, forget me not is, is probably one of the best ones. And a lovely light blue flower from it, uh, which is particularly nice. Cineraria is another lovely thing as well. It's lovely um, silver foliage from it, um, and I love the cinerarias to go with them. Uh, uh, lovely uh, uh, the tested daffodils, or even the lovely ornamental kale. Now the ornamental kales are of the lovely cabbage type plants. That you can stop plant, and these are of your hardy little plants that you can put into your containers. Now, it doesn't matter what how cold it gets or whatever, they still perform really well. Love, they really are magnificent, uh, facing forward um, in in a window box, 
and um, interplant your test daffodils in between them or even top plant with a lovely heather as well. And I think the winter headers are particularly good. Things like them, uh, the Erica Carney headers, they're kind of more the winter flowering ones, which are particularly hardy. And as well as that, they're lime tolerant as well. They can, they can take a little bit of lime. Um, so you can plant them into, into your borders after you're, you're finished with your, with your containers as well. Some... Um, so there's loads of plants that you can put in at this time of the year to have as much colour as you have during the summertime you can have uh, during the winter. Some um, lo- lovely, really... I- lovely ideas yeah. there indeed, uh, Alton. Um, loads of questions in for you, as as always. Should I bring... Is it a lime quat? Is that how it's pronounced? Indoors, uh, because the nights are cooling. Um, it's in a container on the patio at the moment. Which a lot of um, any any of your, your limes or any, anything like that, it's very important. Um, any of the uh, citrus plants or anything like that, it's very important to move them in once it gets cold. Now, it's not particularly cold. It's getting cooler, all right. But um, if it goes um, uh, down to zero or anything like that, it's, it's very important to move them in, mm. in indoors, almost like an orangery. You treat it like an orangery. So any any of your, your tender plants, things like your bananas, the banana tree, or even your, your canna lilies, um, or even even um, uh, most of your citrus, citrus plants, your, your oranges and, and um, uh, peaches and things like that, it's very important to move them in um, so they don't get any frost damage on them. Because sometimes uh, what happens is all, all it takes is one night to, to scorch the foliage on it. It's very important to move them in before any uh, severe weather comes. So you would do that now then, ultimately? Yeah. Um, it, it's a little, yeah. It, it's still not too cold okay. yet. It, it, it's really probably another uh, two weeks or so. Um, uh, you can move them in then. All right. Even and, I, and, and it, and it, but if it is forecasted for, for weather to go below, below um, zero, um, you can put a fleece over them. There's things like them, such as this frost fleece that you can get to protect any of your tender plants from any, any, yes. any um, uh, frost damage. All right. We asked Alton if a climbing rose should be cut back, and if so, by how much? And also, when is the best time to move a rose bush to another part of the garden? Yeah, really, to move them at any time, time in the garden really is between September and March. Um, so it's really d- during the, the dormant season is, is a good time to do that. I always find with roses, um, especially at this time of year, you'll get a, a, partially a, a second flush of flowers. Like, I can't get over. I, I have loads of um, roses, and um, they're just starting to come into flower again and, and, and giving a great display. Mm. So keep deadheading your roses as much as possible. So any flowers that have faded on them, cut them back to uh, about four buds from, from the main stem and that will force it to produce more flower buds for you. Um, roses are quite resilient and, and they're quite hardy really and they'll keep coming on and, and even practically flowering right up to Christmas. I mean, I always find it very funny that uh, I have these lovely carpet roses or, or climbing carpet roses mm. and they, they, they they're, um, uh, give a great display even now and right up to, to, to Christmas if you keep deadheading them regularly. Again, it's a good idea is to feed your roses um, at this time of the year as well, just to promote good growth in the springtime. So I think something like the top rose fertilizer, if you have a lot of roses, use um, a thing like the poultry manure fertilizer, I, I find very good as well. Uh, again, keep deadheading them and, and get rid of any, any affected foliage that has a lot of black spot or, or rust on them, just to keep them tidied up. And again, there has been an awful lot of green fly lately as well, so uh, you can add a spray with rose clear or, or multi-rose just to keep them, keep them lovely and clean for you. All right, Mary was on to us and she has uh, some issues with the leaves on the shrubs. She said uh, they're full of holes and she's wondering how she might uh, treat that. Yeah, with a lot of shrubs, especially with the, um, 
in terms of fetinias or even your laurels will tend to get a lot of holes on them. And that's a thing called a uh, shot hole. It's a fungus really, that, that attacks the, the foliage on it. Um, really, the, the best thing to do is, is feed your, your shrubs uh, with a thing called a magnesium salt or an epsom salt. That gives them more disease resistance to uh, the, the rust or the fungus that um, may be attacking which makes it lovely and healthy, the foliage, but rich and green. The, uh, the, the Fatini Red Robin particularly as well, it's good to give them uh, an acid feed. Uh, this promotes healthy growth and, and much more disease resistance to it. At this time of year, I wouldn't start spraying with, with a fungicide or anything like that because it's, it's a lot of things, especially the deciduous shrubs and things like that, the leaves would be coming off them anyway. So again, gather up anything that has fallen to the ground uh, uh, so that you, the spores don't go back onto the shrub in the springtime. So keep it loving clean uh, at the base and once the, the foliage has fallen off them. Especially like with roses as well, you'll get that shot hole or, or that rust or, or the black spot on it. Keep, keep it um, completely clean from any leaves that are on the ground so that uh, the spores don't go back onto the shrubs again to, 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 to spray them. But to have healthy foliage, give them a good feed of, of um, a fistful just really of just a, of these magnesium salt or epsom salts at the base of the shrubs. Um, and then if, if you really want good healthy foliage, a lovely um, feed of a uh, sequestrant of iron. This one wants you to repeat your recipe for the moss remover and the weed killer. That's the natural one, I guess, is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, really, what a good one is to use. And even like at this time of the year, you find your yards and everything, a lot of weeds coming up, and especially um, a lot of moss as well starting to, to creep in. Um, it's used in called, uh, it's a vinegar, 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 white vinegar, uh, five litres of that, two cups of Epsom salts, and a quarter cup of um, washing up liquid. If you mix that in um, and then spray that over the whole yard, that will get rid of any weeds or any moss or algae that's on, on your lawn or on your yard or, or path. Very good. Ask Alternate says about uh, tomatoes going brown on plants and uh, why is this the case? Yeah, really, that's, that's an iron deficiency, what happens. Um, so, uh, again, uh, as I was saying, if you put um, uh, it's a question of iron, a liquid feed on that, that will keep, keep them lovely and healthy and more disease resistance to it. There's also a thing called bottom end rot that you'll find at this time of year that the, the tomatoes will get almost a blacking at the base, the base of the tomato. But the, the tomato going brown, really is, is an iron deficiency. So if you feed it with um, uh, either the Epsom salts or, the, or, or sequestered iron, that will help to give it, make it much more healthier looking for you. Now, a lot of the tomatoes, really, if they're at a good size, I'd start to harvest them now, um, even if they're green, um, because they're, the sunlight isn't as good anymore. Uh, so it's just to, to harvest them and put them into paper bags. They'll season quite well um, and uh, they'll become ripe then within about three, uh, two to three weeks. Right, uh, another listener wondering why my peace lily is uh, dropping off and a yellow colour is starting to appear on the leaves. Yeah, with um, with the peace lily, what happens is that when the flower fades on it, the flower stalk, I want you to remove that right down to the base of the plant. That will just encourage it to produce more flowers from the very, very base of it. Um, again, with any of the leaves that are gone, uh, rusty or, or um, that, are, that are fading, it is to pinch them off as well. Uh, cut, them, cut them at the, at the very base. Use the scissors and just cut off the, the, any faded um, leaves or flowers that, that are on it. Uh, give it a good feed of, of the baby biofeed, uh, just about two drops into, the, into a, a dish. 
um, and, and the plant then can take it up by osmosis um, at the very base of the dish. Um, don't overwater your, your piece, ladies. They're particularly better growing um, more on the drier side than, than being too wet. If they're too wet, that tends to rot them. So always um, water uh, sparingly. All right, Alton, always a pleasure and happy gardening to you and thank you very much indeed. That's our horticulturalist, uh, Alton Nesbitt, speaking to us uh, there. Uh, lovely to hear from Mary Hanrahan uh, today. Mary's a great friend of uh, the show and she says, good morning, friend. Just to say I really enjoyed your conversation with Jasper about the amazing local link to Emily Dickinson and I'm sure it will be a full house at the Abbey Mill Theatre on the 23rd. Uh, lots of Emily Dickinson uh, fans around. Well, that's for sure, Mary, and lovely to hear from you today and I hope all as well uh, with you. Before I go, some uh, breaking news for you. The Garda Representative Association, uh, their motion on uh, no confidence in the Garda Commissioner. The result is out right now. Uh, 10,803 polled, 9,129 returned a vote. And of that, wait till you hear this, 84.5% turnout, okay? So, um, the yes, the confidence in the Garda Commission was 116, so that's 3%. No confidence, 98.7%. That's 9,013 votes. So that's an incredible result, really, when you think that this is the rank-and-file Garda um, who have voted overwhelmingly uh, no confidence in the Garda Commissioner, uh, Drew Harris. Now, we will discuss this with uh, Richie Kennedy on the programme tomorrow, of course, which is the uh, GRA representative in Tipperary, and we'll talk about that first thing. But that is an amazing uh, result. Now, already the Garda Commissioner has sort of come out um, firing about all of this and saying that, you know, it's not going to play any part in him choosing to step down or anything. I asked Michal Martin about this yesterday as well and they certainly said uh, the government has full confidence in their Garda Commissioner but um, it's it's an incredible result and as I say we'll talk about that on the programme tomorrow. That's it for me for today. Ali produced Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. Look after yourselves in the meantime, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.